Welcome, Brian Noonan, 720 WGN, here until 7 o'clock. Can you believe it? Big show planned. Always more fun when you get involved. 312-981-7200. That's the phone number. That's the text number. That's the easiest way for you to communicate with us. Uh, if you do call in, you'll be talking to Cody. We're back on the air. This seems so quick. Uh, Goff, he's the executive producer from Rockford, Illinois. If you're nice to him, you get to me. And then uh, you can also keep in touch with us on social media. It's Brian Nooner Show on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, a lot to get to, as I said. We're going to talk to Erling Kagi. He is a Norwegian explorer, and he is the author of the book Silence in the Age of Noise. Fascinating story, a fascinating guy. We'll find out how we can embrace the silence. And uh, wondering if Cody is going to bump us back with the sound of silence from Simon and Garfunkel. Who knows what Cody is up to? Uh, then we'll talk to our old friend Michael Osaki from BaseballInTheAttic.com. If you have some sports memorabilia and you're wondering to yourself, I bet this is worth something, I could probably retire on this baseball card. Well, then, when Michael's here, you need to call us, and uh, Michael will tell you if you can retire or if you need to keep slaving away for the man which I'm guessing it's probably the latter more so than the former. And then uh, we'll have some Bowtie Theater Reviews. Two theater reviews to get to this week, Cody. Both productions you missed because you were out of town doing uh, hobnobbing with scientists. You know, more of that fake climate change stuff and fake science. So much fake science out there. There's too much fake science. That's what I say every time I talk about science. Yeah, it's got to be fake. What's the good of science? Where do we even see it? In computers? No. That's no. technology. Health? Uh, what do we need vaccinations for? They're for chumps. Right. You know, all of that. Yeah. So, a lot of, yeah, bad science out there. But yet, you were uh, you condoned it all by hobnobbing with them uh, over the past week. So. I did, yeah. I've been hobnobbing. I was hobnobbing in Washington, D.C. at the American Advancements for the Association. No, the American Association for the Advancements of Science annual meeting. Yeah. It was fun. Well, that's very nice. Met a lot of scientists. There's a lot of there's a lot of researchers doing a lot of really interesting stuff out there. How do you think these people feel when they've devoted their life to something, studying? I don't know. Let's say climate or anything, uh, demographics, wh whatever it is they've chosen to study for their life's work, and they've had years and years of education and years and years of research, and they come up with these. Uh, theories and and then they back those theories up with facts and then they're just discounted by a wide swath of society that says well, we don't believe science it's all uh you know it's all the meteorologists getting together it you really can feel it it, it really affected me I, I spoke with a gentleman he's a professor uh, down in texas i believe at texas a&m okay. he's, he's teaching his last semester there he's close to 70 years old he uh served two years in vietnam in the vietnam war in the u.s military uh just this accomplished guy and he's a demographer is his is his trade and studying he, demographics demographics uh mo that that refers mostly to immigration sure. and uh how people move around and yeah demographics obviously yeah. and he just i mean this is a guy that that like look at his whole full life and he's moved around and he's studied and he's he, he fought for our country and he's just baffled he's like <laughs> they're, they're talking about this wall yeah. and this be? and none of the numbers are are accurate at all what this guy is saying the data says that the people coming across the border aren't are not violent the data says all the drugs that come into our country come through our ports not through the land borders Again, and he, he just but he listening to this guy though i mean y you really do have to think about that just try to imagine devoting your entire life and career to studying data and gathering <laughs> evidence and facts and just 
having some guy on TV yell a bunch of stuff right. and then and make mo- you... And most people, be- uh, not most, but a lot of people, enough people believe it that it's become it's become a thing. It was it was really really heartbreaking. Well, and it's uh, so it's got to be it's for these people who are now going into it who maybe don't have the experience or the tenure that this uh, gentleman you're referencing have. It's got to be very disheartening. <laughs> Why am I even bothering? What's uh, what what are we going to do? Yeah, maybe someday we'll get to a point where policy can be determined by facts and Listen, data and I don't know evidence. what kind of utopian uh, society you're living in. <laughs> what kind of a fairy land full of rainbows and unicorns and uh, facts that you want to you want to be in? But I'm not that guy. Pull your head out of the clouds. Yeah, dreamer. really. <laughs> man, oh man! Holy cow! What did you have for pixie sticks for lunch? Is floating around <laughs> in here a, with you. Do a line, in the sky do a line of those pixie sticks. Rock right candy. A lot of rock candy involved. Yeah, rock this craziness. <laughs> uh, we will. It's the return of At the Breweries today at 6. That's right. Dry, dry January is over. So the boys are back in town. We're going to talk uh, some beer after 6 o'clock. We will take on the Jussie Smollett case and uh, try to figure out, you know, God forbid you speak out against something because uh, then you are severely labeled. And uh, so we'll get into all of that as well. So uh, a lot to go. We've got to talk a little. All right. First of all, I'm going to say this, and I know it's uh, I'm beating a dead horse. I'm pounding the old drum. Uh I'm tired of the snow. I'm sick of it. I had to do the grandpa shuffle for the entire walk from where I parked my car to the station because my entire life now revolves around the fact that I don't want to fall. Much like many people. You know, when you're young and you fall, it's no big deal. Like you, Cody, you're, getting, you're, you're almost at that cusp. You know, where you're still young enough where if you fall, you can probably bounce back. I fall on purpose sometimes just sure. to check. Yeah. Well, wait another couple years. Then you'll be me. Go, I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall. That's that's the internal monologue I had the entire walk from where I parked. I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall. So I'm shuffling along. And you know, normally, I have a very long gait. I walk fast. I walk with purpose. I walk with my head held high and my, uh, you know, the opinion of myself held even higher. Yet today, because of, uh, once again, the snow and the ice, uh, I've had it. I've had it with winter. I'm done. I'm done with this climate. I'm done with wondering. I saw a uh, tweet from, a, uh, from Doug Stanhope, who's a very famous comedian. And he tweeted, uh, why, do success, why do people who consider themselves successes live in horrible climates? I thought the I thought the definition of success was not having to shovel and wear boots and layer up. And I thought, you know what? He has a very cogent point. And I'm not even that successful. But why do why do we put up with it? And I know we've been talking about this for the last month and a half, so I won't spend any more time on it other than to say I've done. I'm done. Come on, Brian. Oh, we're getting up. The the le- we're we're being labeled as leftists and hypocrites because we back up science. Oh, man. Yeah. Good for you, 847. <laughs> Hypocrites. Oh, my goodness. Leftists. Yep, leftists. Mm. Uh, listen, it's easy to paint with that brush, Don. That's all. You, you know, Anytime you don't agree, go after somebody's politics. Also, and, because because uh, it's always been that way, right? We always fell into two camps. There's no room for any sort of uh, gray area, right? You're either a leftist. Or you're a good God-fearing uh, Republican, <laughs> right, conservative. Right. That's that's how it, that basically how it is, right? So I, I don't know which one I am. It depends. Because I always believe you think about an issue. 
Mm-hmm. But that's, listen, that's too, that's a lot of work. It is. That's a hassle. Because then one day I might, you know, uh, you might talk to me about finances and I sound, oh, yeah, this guy's on our side. And then the next day you might talk to me about a social program and somebody else will go, see, I knew he was a good guy and he always thought like this. I'm very enigmatic, Cody. But not, not to the, you know. To the, some of the listeners. What this texture is doing is using a logical fallacy to argue. Please explain. Ooh. Yeah, this this logical fallacy. See, this is why we have let Cody go hobnob with scientists, Don, because <laughs> he comes back, back and it's like logical oh, fallacy. Yeah, you know. No, this texture is saying, well, certain evidence doesn't point to this one thing that leftists believe in. So that means that leftists are hypocrites, and therefore, even though the science on demographics is perfectly valid, or climate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or climate, like, yeah, you're basically saying, it, it's like if you have 10 issues and one of those issues is uh, debatable or not necessarily scientifically validated, right. then that means that all 10 of your things yep. are no longer valid. Throw out the baby with the bathwater. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There is no and reason... Sci- and scientists are nuts. You, right. There is... <laughs> That's, who would spend guy, their whole lives devoted nut. to one field of study? Like, who would do that? Only Don, a nut would he's do it. a nut. Well, this texture he's says... He's a half-baked academic <laughs> East Coast elitist, even though he's in Texas. He's an he's a <laughs> East Coast elitist who's a nut job. He so. is in Texas. But but there's another texture. You'll listen to a nut about the border and dismiss the border control agents on the front line. Okay, a border control agent can see what is directly around them. A quote-unquote right. nut scientist is gathering data from... Thousands of data points. Cody, Cody, he has Cody. a better point of Cody view Rampo. than one person. It's all fired stop, up now. stop it. That's stop how it science the, works. No, stop it with the facts. Because facts are for, you know, chumps and nuts. But do you not no, understand? Not, no, listen. Why get it's Sunday afternoon. It's That's a right. beautiful, beautiful day if you love this kind of crummy weather. Um <laughs> but it's because we're alive and you know the good thing? We're not nuts. That's right. We're just regular schmoes. Leftist hypocrites. That's that's all. Spouting, exposing uh, fake news. The world is doomed. Right. Of course it is. But nobody's going to believe that till it actually happens. Mm. And the naysayers and the, uh, the people who are standing in the streets trying to call out those things, doesn't matter. Happy Sunday. Yay. Yeah, friends. Happy Sunday. <laughs> uh, no, listen, let's get back to my point about the ice. A texter said, my daughter uh, is 42. She fell on a little piece of ice before Christmas, broke her arm, still off work. Oh, so now man. I pay more attention. That's right. We all better pay attention. Don't be. I almost. I almost took a took a header going into the garage tonight. It's brutal. Yeah, and, and you know, and I salt. I salt like a crazy person. I salt so much that deer are now living in my backyard. But for taste. There was yeah, just to have a little lick. But there was still a tiny piece in my heel hitting. A, oh, I had to do the had to do the little uh, the surf the surf move to stay awake. All right, I have to ask. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then uh, we'll discuss Valentine's Day because that passed. And I have to I have to know what uh, what Cody does for Valentine's Day. So we'll get into all of that. And uh, you know, I know you're probably thinking, oh, well, are you going to talk about Aurora? And there's really not much to say. It, it was again a horrible situation, but one that unfortunately is not unexpected anymore. Uh, one that unfortunately we will feel horrible about for a couple of days. And then either the next one will happen and we'll forget it or time will do what it always does and the news cycle and we will move on to another story. Now, you know, that's that's unfortunate for society as a whole because the families of the five victims and the uh, the officers who were shot, they won't move on in a couple of days or a week and they will always remember. But 
nothing is going to change. Um, me saying oh, my thoughts and prayers. I, I don't even want to say thoughts and prayers because it's so cliche and horrible. So, you know, uh, if you're not thinking about those people, you're an animal. If you're not uh, saying uh, keeping some kind of good thought, whether it's a prayer to a traditional deity or however you view your spirituality, if you're not uh, trying to send some sort of good vibes, I don't know what kind of human being you actually are. But uh, until until something is done to change our society, then this is going to keep happening, and we will all continue to just shake our heads. We will continue to feel bad for a couple of days, and then we'll move on and just hold our breath till the next one happens. Um, now you could argue, and and I would. I know we have to break. I'm going to make this final point. I could argue that if you want to uh, talk about a national emergency, you know, this national emergency has been going on for quite some time, but um, this one's this one's much harder to address because there's a lot of money behind it. Other quote-unquote national emergencies are a little easier to get people whipped up about because uh, the target of that emergency uh, isn't paying a lot of uh, our representatives to keep their mouths shut. All right, let's do this. Then there's more. Did you, uh, boys, did we have good Valentine's Days? Did you, uh, did your significant, if you have significant others, were they, uh, were they impressed by your shows of romance? In my imagination, yes. All right. Definitely. Cody the G, you have a new wife. Relatively new. A little wife for a year and a half. We're still newlyweds if it's under two years. All right. Well, you have a newlywed bride. Yeah. What did you do to show her your love? I, well, I flew to Washington, D.C. at 7 a.m. But the night before that, I went, uh, I did a huge grocery shopping trip and took care of all the groceries and everything. So when she got home, she was all set for the whole weekend. And I bought her a little, one of those little packets of chocolate-covered strawberries. Look at you. Very nice. Good for you. She appreciated it. She wrote me a lovely card that almost made me tear up in the hotel room. Wow, really? Yeah, it was great. It's great. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Did you see the guy who went to Outback? Pretended he got stood up. Got got people to pay for his meal. It was a social media experiment. Oh, man. Yeah. I wish I'd thought of that. Me too. I could have used a nice steak dinner. We didn't... Uh, what did we do Thursday? Nothing, really. We- <laughs> I, had gotten my, I had ordered something for my wife because I had told her... Um, I gave her a choice. This was mid-January. I said, listen... Uh, I know we're not supposed to get each other anything for Valentine's Day, which is true, but I'm going to get you something. Now, you can either get, I can get you something that you will get on Valentine's Day, or I can order you something that will not be there by Valentine's Day. There's no chance. Now, this is, again, at least four weeks out, so she knew, you know, it'd be different if I showed up on Valentine's Day and went, oh, yeah, I ordered you something a long time ago. So she knew in advance, and she she chose door number two that uh, she wanted me to order her something, and uh, so I did, and I was able to give her a picture of what I ordered for her on Valentine's Day in the card. So that made her, you know, I guess that made her happy. And then she finally did what I asked, because I don't believe guys need Valentine's Day. I'm a big proponent against men uh, getting cards and things on Valentine's Day. So she did what I said, but uh, Sunday she was all upset. Well, I didn't get you anything for Valentine's Day. I didn't even get you a card, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I told you you don't need to. So I was at Sam's, and I saw this really cool Blackhawks quarter zip uh, like sweatshirt deal, and it was marked down to $14. So I bought it, and it was red, and I came home and I gave it to her. I said, hey, you bought me a Valentine's Day present. 
Now you can relax. <laughs> oh, good. And I said, see, it's red, and it was the perfect price. It was 14 bucks. Oh, good. I would have spent more. I said, I know you would have. But now, you know, now you're good. Something I like, something I'll wear. Uh, you're off the hook. I don't have to, I don't have to uh, be full of self-loathing because of the gift. Well done. Yeah, thank you. That's what I, tr- I should do that all the time. Just shop for myself and go, here, give me this. Give me this. Erling Kaga is going to join us. He is a, uh, a Norwegian explorer and the author of the book Silence in the Age of Noise. We will learn all about what that means on the other side of the news. Uh, do we have, a, we have a break before the news? Yes, we do. So let's do that. WGN. It's very noisy in here, Cody. We need a little silence. I am, uh, I am a big proponent of silence. I enjoy, I enjoy getting up in the morning and hearing nothing. I enjoy being somewhere and and hearing no sound. Another man who seems to enjoy it because he wrote an entire book about it. He is the the, uh, first person to have completed the three poles challenge on foot. Went to the North Pole, the South Pole, and the the summit of Mount Everest. And he is uh, the author of Silence in the Age of Noise. It is a pleasure to welcome Erling Kaga to the program. Uh, Mr. Kaga, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting so it's a, it's a fascinating thing because in this day and age it seems like there's there's nowhere we can go to get silence. Why what what made you focus on on silence and what what made you want to write this book? Um, as I said I walked once to the South Pole for 50 days and nights under the midnight sun in total silence, no radio contact, no people. And that learned a lesson on silence. And uh, later in life, I got a busy job. I suddenly had three teenage daughters, and life was all about noise. And then I started to see that silence today is almost extinct. And uh, that made me a bit sad, but also a bit optimistic in the sense that I should write this book, um, both for my kids and for everybody else, to see that uh, Silence can be great. It can be something rich. Now, silence is not just uh, to be understood in the traditional definition. You know they, that we uh, we hear noise with our ears, and if we don't, there's silence. What do you what do you consider silence? I think you know uh, silence is a quality. It's um, something exclusive, luxurious. It can be a key to unlock new ways of thinking. And I think, you know, you can't wait for a silence to come to you like I have spent half my life searching for silence. So you have to invent your own silence in the sense that you have to listen to the silence within, the silence which is inside yourself at all times, and just waiting for you to explore it. I I don't know if you agree with me. I have a theory that people are afraid of that silence for a number of reasons, but one being they don't they don't think that there's anything you know they they need that noise or they they're afraid to be alone with their thoughts or lack of thoughts do you do you agree with that or no i think that's a very good observation that uh, you know uh, noise is very much about distractions it's about running away from yourselves living through your phone or your devices or the people while silence is about getting to know yourself better and of course that sometimes is a bit uncomfortable now it's and for a lot of people they would rather just have any sort of incessant noise than focus on that. Let's go back to your to going to the South Pole. You went there again on skis 50 days with nothing. It does it take a couple of days to get used to that silence or since you've been searching for silence for so long, 
did you embrace it the very first day? Well, it takes it takes a while actually. It takes a few days because to start it, although it's absolutely peaceful around you, you still have all this noise in the head. You're thinking, yeah. and when you're thinking, you think about the past or the future, and that's you know that's that's noise too. Uh, but after a few days pass by, you start to see that you know you calm down. You stop you stop uh, overthinking. You start to experience the world, experience yourself. And then eventually you can see that the brain can be wider than the sky. So as you're, what is that, what is that like for those of us who've never gone that long with silence, that, that tipping point where your mind, you know, you finally can shut out all the, all the extraneous thought and really embrace what's going on around you and embrace that silence? Um, you know, somehow the quieter I became, um, the more I heard and of course, in Antarctic, this experience comes to an extreme. But I also have the same back home in Norway, that you know, I managed to shut out the world and listen to my own inner silence. It could be only for a few minutes, then I get a kind of the same feeling. Why is it so important for us to to embrace that silence and look for it? Because I think, you know, uh, life becomes very poor, uh, the way we're living today, that we live through over devices, just like me. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm Googling something, and 20 minutes later I'm still Googling, although, uh, you know, I found what I was searching for after half a minute. I could be checking the news for five times in one hour, and it's a total waste. And then again, life feels very short when you're living through other people and living through your devices. And if you're going to have a meaningful life, I think you also need silence. I'm not anti-technology, but, you know, today have we gone too far and people get more and more addicted to different apps and we are forgetting ourselves. Can we do it in small doses? I mean, most of us can't go for 50 days to the South Pole. Um, if we If we can find silence for... Ten minutes a day is that an, is that enough of a start to to make things a little better? Absolutely, I find silence today. I have a you know kind of busy job, and I find silence when I wake up in the morning, when I make breakfast, when I walk to the metro, when I walk up the stairs, uh, when I cook. Uh, definitely, when I do the dishes, uh, if I have a hike. You know, I can find it in the silence throughout the day. And when people say they're too busy, you know, I think it's hard, 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 hard to believe because uh, it's not complicated at all. You don't need any techniques and you don't need that much extra time. Well, we live in a world where everybody says they're busy and they take uh, great pride in that, that they're, they're overscheduled, they're too busy, they're too busy for most things. So to hear someone say, oh, well, just take a few minutes to... Clear your mind and, and embrace the silence. Oh, there's no chance I can do that. <laughs> I think, you know, as I uh, wrote in my book, you know, I think we need to learn from Steve Jobs, the guy who invented uh, the smartphone. Right. Uh, um, he, he knew the advantages, but he also knew, uh, was fully aware of the disadvantages uh, of new technology. So he told his kids, no way they're going to use any products from Apple you know, for more than a few hours every week. And, uh, you know, he was a very clever guy. Erlen Kaga is the uh, author of Silence in the Age of Noise. You can get it wherever uh, fine books are sold. 
let's go back to the definition of silence because you know you mentioned you mentioned the things that you do when you wake up in the morning you're making breakfast you're making coffee when you were going to the north or south pole you're walking there's there's sound so the silence isn't an absence of all exterior noise it's the absence of what's going on in your head the the extraneous chatter that's going on inside of you is that correct yes absolutely and i think you know to shut out the world uh, and listen to your own silence. It's not about turning your back on your surroundings, but it's rather the opposite. It is seeing the world a bit more clearly, staying a course, and trying to love your life even more. So would you equate this to meditation? Are you a, are you a proponent of meditation, or is this uh, because you mentioned you don't need any special techniques? How would somebody, if if somebody's listening now, and they're like, this all sounds great, how do I how do I start to block things out and embrace that silence? Um, I think you know to fashion your own silence. Uh, you know you could use, uh, as you said, meditation, etc. But uh, which is a good idea. But to me, to fashion my silence, you know, I have it whenever I run. You know, as I said, quick food. You know, when you're making love, study, chat, work, think. When you idea, read adults. I can have this inner silence. And even sometimes it's so much noise around me, so I can turn up the music uh, to shut out all other noises, and then I can find this inner silence. So I think, you know, it's not complicated at all. I think, you know, if anyone, you know, sit down and think it through, it's kind of that simple, I think. Now, it's, you said in the in the uh, the definition, the description rather of the book, and in, in, in some of the book, you said that the silence can open us up to gratitude and to wonder. How is it? Because now we've stopped thinking about all these other, uh, either major or petty things in our lives, and we can appreciate what we have. How how exactly are we being opened up by this silence? Yeah, I think you know, wonder is the very engine of life. And I also think gratitude is super important because both, you know, it's a civilized thing to feel, but also it makes, you know, life more rich if you feel gratitude uh, when you have a reason for it. But problem is when you live in noise, you forget about gratitude uh, and you stop wondering if because if you have any questions, you Google and you find the answer and that's it. And I think, you know, that's not healthy. So I think, you know, it's just like with kids. They're wondering all the time. And it's a bit sad when that kind of spirit is uh, diluted as it is today. And I have to say, man has always had a problem relating to himself or herself. And the present has always hurt. Uh, that's something philosophers have been writing about for hundreds of years. But today, of course, it's so much more extreme. Just like the last 10 years or five, last five years, it has become a bit crazy. Well, and it's not, we walked on the street. It's not valued. You know, that kind of, that kind of inner uh, monologue or, or self, uh, self-evaluation, that's not, that's not valued as much as being connected and being out there. And as I said before, being busy or being perceived to be so busy. Those are... Those are what are embraced as uh, making our lives meaningful, whereas the silence, people go, well, that's, you know, we don't need that, but in fact we do. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I asked my kids about silence and, uh, when they were teenagers, and they said, you know, silence is nothing. Why should they care? <laughs> and then, you know, I had to try to explain to them that, you know, silence is not nothing. Silence is something. It can be your best friend. Uh, you know, you don't need to have silence all the time. You could just have a little bit of silence every day because that makes, you know, uh, life so much better. And I think to see around today, people are so restless. They're getting more depressed. They're more sad. And all these apps that are supposed to make people, you know, feel better, um, to unite people, are actually, you know, doing the opposite. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't, as you said, it, it doesn't take 50 days walking to the South Pole. It can start with a couple minutes a day, and things can move on. All right, you've, been, you've walked to the South Pole, you've walked to the North Pole, you've uh, gone to Mount, the peak of Mount Everest. What's next? What's the next big adventure? Just going down to the grocery store? <laughs> it seems like you've, you've uh, done it all. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in Norway now. It's closing on bedtime, so I will you know, soon go to bed. I relax for five extra minutes, just calm down. There take things through, empty my head, and then I will have some silence. And have some silence. Well, embrace it. And uh, people can get the book "Silence in the Age" uh, "Silence in the Age of Noise" by Erling Kaga. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it wherever books are sold. Uh, embrace the silence. It was a pleasure talking to you, Erling. And uh, now you can get to bed after you embrace some silence. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Take care. That's Erling Kaga. The book, again, is A Silence in the Age of Noise. Uh, you can pick it up everywhere you know. I love, I love me a little silence. I love me a piece of quiet, as we like to say. All right. Shh. Did you embrace it? Or did people freak out? <laughs> Probably back in engineering, Chris is like, what happened? Are we off the air? No, we've just embraced the silence. Uh, and now we'll embrace these lovely messages. On the other side of the news, our good friend Michael Osaki from BaseballInTheAttic.com will be here. So if you have some sports memorabilia laying about the house and you're wondering if it's worth something, well, this is the time to uh, call in, 312-981-7200, or text. We've, we've already started getting some texts about some uh, some different things that uh, people want to know about. So we'll talk to Michael on the other side of the news. I'm glad you walked back in, because I thought I was throwing to the news, and it said, uh, no, we still have uh, we still have many minutes. I, you know what happened, Cody? I embraced the silence during, yeah. during the break. I was so inspired by that that I decided to just stop talking to you. No, well, well, that's fine, and I was very happy to not have anybody talking to me. I know. I, uh, it, it's funny, like... I try to I try to live that way, and people think it's because I don't want to communicate with other people, which is mostly true. But I also enjoy. I don't think there's anybody amongst us who doesn't enjoy that that few minutes where you're not really thinking, and you can sit. and And for a lot of us, it happens in the morning. That's why I get so infuriated when one of the dogs starts whining the minute my feet hit the floor because I like those first few minutes to just be. I don't turn on the radio. I don't turn on the TV. I don't. I, I don't talk. I just kind of. You take that few minutes and you gather yourself and you're quiet, or sitting out in the backyard and just, you know, hearing the birds. And I know that's not. Again, we go back to the definition. It's not the absence of all external noise. It's the absence of internal noise, and that's where the silence comes from. So you can hear the waves crashing. You can hear the birds. You can hear, you know, a train in the distance. But you've you've put aside all those things that are driving you crazy all day or even not driving you crazy just concerns and everyday life and and all of that and uh, kind of uh, 
filling yourself with a little bit of gratitude. I'm getting very touchy-feely in my old age, aren't I? Hippy-dippy, some people would call it. Embracing the new age, the crystals. It must be all my leftist leanings. That's probably what it is. You're leaning so hard left, you might fall, Brian. I could, watch fall, it. I could fall right over. I, uh, but you know the story. I've always said every year, what do, you, what do you want for Christmas? A piece of quiet. I just want a piece of quiet to just be alone with my thoughts. Well, probably not. Maybe just, <laughs> you don't want to be alone with these thoughts. That is, <laughs> that is not good. Hey, big news. I am now a known traveler. I went through my TSA pre-check this week. Oh, Brian. Oh, yes. Your life is going to change. I can't wait. You don't even know. I know. I've got two flights coming up in the next couple weeks. And I was like, well, four, you know, two round trips, so four one-way flights in the next couple weeks. And I was like, woohoo. And I, I was nervous because uh, they said, well, you know, it could take up to a month. And I'm like, oh, I waited too long. So last Tuesday after school... I zipped over to a place and I had my fingerprints done and I'm thinking I I'm not worried that I'm not going to qualify cuz I had to get fingerprinted to teach so you know I don't there's nothing in my nothing in my background that would prohibit me from traveling you know it's not like I wear a bomb vest uh, you know on the holidays I've never been arrested that you know of uh, under this name so <laughs> I'm joking in case the TSA is listening but anyway, I go and I take my fingerprints, which I had to do three times because the guy's like, uh, you don't have very good fingerprints. And I'm like, yes, that's from years of dipping my fingers in acid to avoid being caught in your web. Uh, he didn't appreciate that. I tried to stay off the grid. But then I found out my wife had to do it. He said, oh, well, normally we do it three times anyway, and then we let them pick the best ones. I was like, oh, okay, because Debbie did it too, and so did Molly, all, all three of us this week. We, we, we put ourselves on the grid so that now we can be tracked like migratory beasts. By the government, even though we were all being tracked anyway. So I said, I said to the guy, "How long does this usually take?" And he he was like, eh, "A couple days." And I was like, "Oh, they said a month on the website." He goes, eh, "It's not, you know, it's not going to take a month." So I get uh, get an email yesterday. You've uh, it's determined you are eligible, and I go on and I got my known traveler number. Then I had to call the airline and go, "Hey, guess what? I'm a known traveler." Get everything set, and I had to put my middle name in. Because when I made flight reservations, I never used my middle name. Just Brian Noonan. I don't think I used my middle name. It, what's in your driver's license? Uh, I, I don't know, but I know on my passport, my middle name is on there. Hmm. So, and according, and the, my known traveler number is with my middle name. Right. So my frequent flyer account, they had to enter my middle name. So I, am, I know you've done, you did this already. Yeah, I only do first, last name, but that's also my license. And right. I think I have my initial on my passport. No, maybe the whole thing is on my passport. Probably on but, your passport. But TSA pre-check only really works for domestic flights anyway. Right, exactly. So I don't know. But anyway, they've got my whole name. I'm sure it'll work. I'm proud of my middle name. Uh, yeah, my, my, my middle name's on there. So you have this pre-check. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. When Does we were it flying- work all the time? Yes. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't I- wait to thumb my nose at the great unwash as I zip past them in the pre-check line. When I flew to Huntsville, there was a very small airport I went to. It was either Huntsville or Fairbanks. And there's, if you're a really tiny airport, sometimes they combine they P-check in the regular it, yeah, ones. But like the vast majority of the time, you're good. Good. I can't wait. That's so good. I can't wait to, to lord it above everyone else who is waiting in line, taking their shoes off. Will I have to take my shoes off ever again? No. It's the best oh, thing ever. Oh, my God. It really is. I can wear high tops, lace them up tight, and not have to worry about it? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Do it. I never travel in high tops, but I might. I might this week. I'm going to wear big muckluck boots 
and I won't have to take them off. All right. Wow. I'm so excited. Uh, I can't wait to tell you that the news is next on WGN. Oh, my goodness. Somebody texted in. The irony of our previous uh, segment on silence is that I keep WGN on 24-7 in multiple rooms, as you should. We appreciate that. Uh, my husband's always wanting to turn it off so that he can have quiet. Well, tell your husband to just turn it down a little. Leave it on because we want you to always know what's happening. And then, uh, you know, the the purpose of the silence, again, not to close out all the sound, all the external sound. It's to close out the internal sound. But right now, you need your internal and your external sound on because our good friend Michael Osaki is here. Baseballintheattic.com. He is a certified sports memorabilia appraiser. And uh, baseball season is starting, so people are going to be getting all, ooh, here's my shoebox of baseball cards. What are they worth? Welcome back, Michael. Good to see you. Hey, Brian. Welcome back. It's great to be here as well. So uh, we're going to talk because you are going to be at an event where people can actually bring you things. Uh, here they can they can call. And I'm trying to, we had, I was showing you a picture. And we'll start, uh, somebody from the 847, uh, if you are listening, 847, um, with the last number 60, well, 76 is the last number of the phone number, you you sent us a couple pictures. Call in, because we may have some news for you. Michael, I was showing Michael your pictures of your baseball and football cards. So, if you have sports memorabilia, 312-981-7200 is the number, so you can call us, you can text us, and uh, Michael will kind of help you out. All right, so you've been, how long have you been doing this? It seems like, I mean, I've known you for probably six years, seven years. Uh, how long have you been appraising? Since 1932. Really? You look very well preserved. Thank like you. Like they, somebody put you in one of those card cases so you couldn't get this, so your edges couldn't get curled and you couldn't get discolored. That's right. I've been in mint condition. Um, very nice. <laughs> so I started my website back in 2007. Okay. So almost 12 years ago. Um, but I had been involved in the industry for um, about 10 years before that. How, what has changed in, the, in those years in the memorabilia industry? Well, a couple things as of late. The really high end, when I say high end, the mint condition uh, rookie cards or Hall of Fame cards, um, think Ernie Banks, Hank Aaron, those uh, have significantly appreciated. Um, so, for example, about 10 years ago, uh, Hank Aaron's rookie card, 1954 tops, in near mint condition, was about $4,000. Today it's about twenty, twenty-two thousand dollars um, so we're seeing some wow. gra- we're seeing some great appreciation on that. In fact, a lot of the cards, not so much autographs, but cards, um, have way surpassed the S and P five hundred, uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average. You know, now people are really starting to correlate um, cards with some of those um, significant uh, stock indices. Um, they're seeing cards uh, as an asset class. Well, wow. now what kind of people? Because you know, when baseball cards came out, most of us got them. We were kids. You know, most of it, we'd look at them, we'd trade them for a while. You put them in a rubber band. Maybe you put them in your bike spokes. You trade them with your buddies. Is there a certain type of person that you've seen over the years who, as a kid, and maybe you were one of the, started collecting it, and maybe they collected them just for the love of it, or maybe they collected them with, a, with an eye forward? Uh, is there a certain type of person who is the prototypical sports memorabilia collector or sports card collector? Uh, well, usually the, uh, I guess the typical collector now that is really looking for investment purposes started out collecting uh, uh, back 20, 30 years ago, as you were saying. They would go, they would jump on their bicycle and go to the five and dime store and right. get their packs of cards. Maybe there's five cards in a pack and they get a stick of bubble gum. 
And yeah, so, that fine, fine cardboard bubble gum. Yeah. Ugh. I've actually tasted um, a piece from, 19, <laughs> from 1951. It's, really? It's, it's, it's horrific. It yeah. did, that didn't change over the years. No. The, the value of the cards may have, but the horrible, horrible taste of that gum never changed. Yeah. In fact, I think there's a couple of YouTube videos of some random people just taking a, a bite of that, you know, bubble gum from 1950, 1960. Yeah. Uh, it essentially, just, it goes, <laughs> it's like, it just blows up. Yeah. It's horrible. So, so they, they went and they started collecting as a kid and then did they just hang on to them or, or when, when does it when does it flip that it's like oh now this is this is not just because i'm a kid and i like them now i can make some dough a lot of the serious collectors um collected as a kid as i said however they had their collections thrown out by their mom or someone in their family they went off to college or they fought in a war and so um now they have some disposable income and they're saying you know what I really want to buy back those childhood memories. And they're doing it with, um, you know, okay, so 1955 Bowman, whatever it was, 1962 Tops, uh, whatever that they remember growing up as a kid, whatever they liked, here they are 30, 40, 50 years later, and they're going forth and saying, you know what, I'm going to spend some money and try and complete this set, or I'm going to try and get my favorite player in near mint condition or mint condition. Um, that's usually how it goes. All right. Um, let, tell everybody your specialty because you, you can appraise everything, but you you do have a specialty. Yeah. So so when I say so when we say everything, it's anything really from 1870 to 1970, all sports, uh, uh, baseball, basketball, hockey, football, horse racing, uh, golf, you name it. But my specialty really is cards. Um, that's kind of how I got started all those years ago, and that really is the majority of what I see. Um, however, I see a lot of autographs, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, uh, Muhammad Ali. There's, there's a lot of fake autographs. I was going to say, how many of them are legit? Uh, you know, so I don't know. Years ago, uh, there was an article in Forbes magazine that said over 50% of all total autographs are fake. Okay. Uh, I think it's actually higher than that. Um, it's just so much, so many bad stuff out there. And for a while, there were a lot of people that were making a good living at it. But then the FBI really, um, the FBI allocated a lot of resources to try and take down those teams of people that were doing that. Uh, a lot of them are still in jail today. Very nice. Let's talk about the event you're going to be part of at the McHenry County Historical Society and Museum coming up on the uh, 23rd of February, so next Saturday. Yeah, it's it's this coming Saturday. This will be my, I think, fourth year. And it's great because people drive from all over Illinois, Wisconsin, to McHenry County, which is northern Illinois, um, pretty much on the border of Wisconsin and Illinois. And there are 10 different appraisers. I'm one of them, obviously, mm -hmm. doing sports. But there's a guy doing toys, and there's someone doing dolls and books, and there's a generalist. And you can take, bring with you whatever you have at home, whether it's a family heirloom or something you purchased at a yard sale or flea market um, 10, 15 years ago. And for, I think the charge is $7 per item, mm -hmm. uh, an appraiser will look at it and tell you how much it's worth. And the appraisers do this um, pro bono. We, we do not get paid. And all of the uh, money, so you pay $7 for an item, that goes to the McHenry County Historical Society and Museum uh, for renovations and all that good stuff. And uh, admission to the museum is included in that $7. So yes. you're, you're reserving a 10-minute slot. Uh, call the museum at 815-923-2267 or go to go, 
gothistory.org. Gothistory.org. You can uh, sign up for a spot. They are taking walk-ups. That's $9 an item, uh, and it's kind of first-come, first-serve. So probably best if you know you've got something either for Michael or one of the other nine appraisers to make your appointment, go in, have your 10 minutes scheduled, and then uh, they can take And you... You can tell, because there's a limit of three items, first of all, for each appointment. So uh, you can tell pretty quick. Uh, it's not going to take you 10 minutes for, for a card. You can pretty much, at this point in your career, look at a card and go, this is worth eh, something, this is nothing. Yeah, there was uh, one time a couple years ago, um, a gentleman brought, he had one Mickey Mantle autograph, one Muhammad Ali, and one Joe DiMaggio. So, he, so those were his three items. And within 20 seconds total, I said, all these are fake. These are no good. Really? Uh, and he was pretty upset. <laughs> you know, he'd bought them at an antique store many years ago. And, um, you know, I said, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, so there's really no value there. Um there's a, a let's take a quick break. Michael Osaki's here. Baseballintheattic.com is his website. Uh, a lot of people sending in pictures. So, okay. <laughs> so that's let's, good. Uh, if you come over here and take a look, maybe we'll have Cody set you up over there with the pictures. Uh, somebody wants to know how they can get a Tom Brady car, rookie card authenticated. It looks signed. We've got calls at 312 981 7200. We're going to get to your questions after this 720 WGN. We are talking sports collectibles and their appraised worth with Michael Osaki from Baseball. BaseballInTheAttic.com. He is going to be part of the uh, big antique appraisal day, February 23rd at the McHenry County Historical Society and Museum. If you go to uh, GOTHistory.org, you can get all the information. You can sign up for a time, uh, whether you have sports memorabilia for Michael or one of the other nine areas of expertise of the other appraisers get your uh, get your spot and then go in and all the proceeds all the proceeds go to the McHenry County Historical Society and Museum all right uh, I told somebody we we mentioned Michael we're getting some pictures and Cody is trying to reach out to somebody but let's get to some questions uh, somebody sent in a picture of an autographed Tom Brady rookie card and they said how can I get my Tom Brady rookie card authenticated uh, how much does that kind of uh, thing cost and I will add why is it important to get it authenticated yeah, so Tom Brady, obviously the greatest of all time. Um, if the caller is really serious about trying to sell uh, the signed uh, football card, he should have it authenticated by a third party. Um, because the reason being, if you try and sell it to someone, the buyer could say, oh, this is not real, or yada, sure. yada, yada. So there's a company in California called PSA, Professional Sports Authenticator, and their website is psacard.com. And they have all of their fees or services listed, um, and then you could send it in to them, and they'll send it back to you. Uh, and then it'll pretty much be encased, in, in, in uh, saying that, yes, this is genuine, authentic. Then you can try and um, sell that. All right. I'm going to... Because I'm going to put my myself in the place of this this uh, this caller or the texter. Why would I... If I send it in, how do I know I'm getting the real one back? This place is a le- this place is legit. They have a long track record. How? Why should I be comfortable sending them my card? Yeah. So the parent company is called Collectors Universe, and they are a publicly traded company, and they've been around for uh, I think close to thirty years. And so, yeah. I think for a novice uh, who's never done this before, I think that's a valid question. Um, but they've certified, authenticated tens of millions of items over the course of uh, their existence. Um, I've never heard of that happening. Okay, yeah, but you you can understand somebody who's never done sure, it before. Yeah. That's going to be like, what, what, how do I know they're not going to send me back? You know, 
yeah. something else. But this, uh, these are above board people. This is not dealing with some guy who's just, uh, you know, these yeah. people have been around for a long time. And Very long time, well respected. So PSACard.com for, uh, for that person. Let's go to the phones and uh, start getting some answers for some folks. Paul's been hanging on. He's in Evanston. Hi, Paul. <clears throat> Hi, Brian. So my question is, and ironically, on Michael Jordan's 56th birthday, yes. I understand, is, uh, is today. Mm-hmm. I actually was lucky enough to, uh, at some point, purchase a Chicago Bulls first championship autographed basketball signed by the entire team. And I do have a letter of authenticity with it. And I'm just wondering, has that value gone up? Has it gone down? Or approximately, what would that value be today? That's a great item, obviously. And without um, seeing the condition of the signatures, I'm assuming Michael Jordan is on there and uh, Phil Jackson. You're looking at at least $1,000. Great. It's in mint condition because it's been in a Lucite case pretty much okay. from the day that I bought it. So it's, it's really been untouched. Very nice. Uh, yeah, that's great. That's, that's a nice item. 1000 bucks, Not too bad, Paul. You going to hang on to it? Uh, for right now, I think I am. And my son, of course, is very interested in it. He's... Uh, He's a freshman in high school. I think he'd love to be the heir to that. So (laughs) I'm not going to part with that. And I just have one other quick question. More more in your wheelhouse in the card area, I'm originally a born and raised uh, Detroiter. So I have a set of Topps cards from the Detroit Tigers 1968 uh, championship year. And it's a World Series set of cards that I guess they, they had one for every game. Then they had one post-series. I'm just wondering if that would be worth anything. Unfortunately not. Uh, there is a little value. It's nominal. Um, there's a lot of them out there. Yes, people do collect those uh, team sets, but not nearly as as valuable as the uh, Bulls signed basketball. All right, well, and I'm not going to part with that. That's you know That's got sentimental value, sure. so I think I'll, I'll stick with those, too. There you go. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Take Th- care. Thanks, guys. All right, let me, uh, let's go to Paul's uh, let me piggyback on Paul's for a minute. Something that is autographed by an entire team, more valuable than if it's just the superstar autograph? If if Paul had just had a, a basketball, and again, I guess you can expect, say I just have Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan from that first year. Where, where does that fall as opposed to Paul's ball that has everybody and has been authenticated? Um, okay. Let me. So you asked a couple of questions yes, there. Yes, of course um, I did. That's my job. <laughs> yeah. So usually, uh, a team signed ball, whatever it is, basketball, football, baseball, is worth less, significantly less than uh, one, you know, superstar Hall of Famer. Okay. Um, so, but in this particular example with Paul, a single signed Michael Jordan basketball, uh, five, six, seven hundred dollars. But this was. The Bulls dynasty year mm-hmm. one, it's worth a lot more. Okay. Same thing with like usually a Yankees team signed ball uh, will be worth a lot more money than a Mickey Mantle single signed ball or Joe DiMaggio single signed ball. Um, but those are the rare cases. In uh, in the majority of the cases, a team signed ball is worth less than of if you course. just had the one superstar on it. Okay. Now this is an interesting one with Mike because it's a superstar in one sport. But the the autograph is a little different. Mike, how are you? Welcome. What do you got? Hey, thanks, guys. Well, back in the 1970s and 80s, the Chicago Bears used to have a basketball team called the Good News Bears. And what they would do is they would travel to local high schools and do benefits with the firemen and the police and the teachers and raise funds for the kids. 
I got a fastball with the program and some pictures, Polaroid pictures of Walter Payton signing the fastball. So you've got, you've got Walter Payton's autograph, but it's on one of these. Uh, Wilson, on one of it's these on a Wilson basketball. All right, so a basketball with Walter Payton's signature. So you have a football superstar on another sports piece of equipment. Where, where What's going on there? So before, yeah, answer, I don't... So, so before I answer the question here, Walter Payton was the first professional athlete I ever met. If you go to my website and click on photos, there's a young picture, I think it's 1994, of me and Walter Payton. He honestly was the best. Uh, and he his, was the best. He is the G-O-A-T, GOAT. Yeah. Yep. And, and I like, Greatest of all time. His son, Jarrett, uh, and I have the same birthday, the same birthday, same year, or exact same age. Anyways, um, this is so, interesting. A Walter Payton signed basketball. A football for Walter Payton, five, 600 bucks. But a, a basketball, it's, it's unique. Um, it's kind of like... Um, a Muhammad Ali signed baseball. Um, people will pay yeah. big money here. I'm going to say you're looking at least eight or nine hundred dollars for that. Well, and since he has picture now, the the Polaroids of, of Walter actually signing it that that lends some credence to this, correct? Uh, no, or it doesn't. So, okay, forget it. <laughs> so hold on. Oh, I, so the question is valid, um, but what happens is, and I've seen this, uh, someone will get something signed like by Walter Payton, um, but they'll make 250 uh, copies of that okay. picture, and then they'll forge 249 <laughs> signatures and say, hey, look, right. I got this sign. And so that's why the picture, um, an authenticator, an appraiser will never look at a picture. It's, oh, they'll it, always look at the signature. Exa- exactly. Yeah, so, Mike, you got... This Polaroid is in him in his basketball uniform. That's the good very, news bears. That's excellent. That's, that's so you got, you got something with some value there, Mike. Hang on to it. Thanks for the call. Thanks. All right, we got to take a quick break, then it's news time, and then more with Michael from Baseball in the Attic. Don't forget, Michael will be at the McHenry County Historical Society Museum Saturday, the 23rd of February, doing appraisals with a bunch of other uh, great appraisers. Make an appointment. Go to gothistory.org for more details. More with Michael from baseballintheattic.com. On the other side, it's WGN. Michael Osaki is here. Baseballintheattic.com is his website. He will be at the McHenry County Museum. Historical Society and Museum on Saturday, February 23rd, as part of a big antique appraisal day. There will be uh, 10 uh, qualified appraisers on hand doing everything from a sports memorabilia like Michael to general appraisers, uh, pottery, art, rugs, books, maps, dolls, quilts, toys, advertising, all sorts of things. So go to uh, gothistory.org to make your reservation. It's $7 uh, per item. And uh, you get three appraisals per person max. So uh, you can uh, get all that. They will take walk-ups that day, but you are on a first-come, first-serve basis. And then it is just uh, it's $9 per item. So make your reservation. All right, Michael, you ready? we got a lot of calls hanging on. 312-981-7200. Everybody has something they want to know if it is a, a f- treasure or not. Harry's been hanging on. He's in Wheaton. Hi, Harry. What do you got? Well, I've got a one-of-a-kind uh, item. When the Bulls won, I don't know, 71 or 72 games to break the record in Milwaukee. Okay. Okay. I was at the game. And after the game, they were selling commemorative 8.5 by 11 uh, heavy stock of collectible things with, you know, pictures and stuff on it. As we were pulling out of the parking lot, my wife says, let that black SUV out. I go, no. And she goes, it's Michael. I said, okay. So I let him out. Traffic was backed up. I said, give me it and give me a pen. I went there. 
and I got the only one signed by Michael. Oh. All right. And I can send you a picture of it if, if you give it a number. It's interesting. Um, so, yeah, of course, I'd I love to see a picture. But the, the, the value is going to be in the autograph itself and not so much the medium that was signed on. Yes, it could be rare. It might be the only one he signed. But really, when people are going to buy it and when someone like myself values it, it's based on the signature. Um, unless it was some ridiculous uh, medium, uh, you know, his birth certificate, you know. <laughs> Wow. Uh, something like that. It's Social Security card. So, but regardless, it's still worth several hundreds of dollars. So it's a really nice item. Yeah. Congrats. Very nice. How do people, you know, uh, Harry, hang on and uh, listen, yeah. and we will give you contact information for Michael. Uh, so, how do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you outside of this? And, sure. send, and like Harry wants to send you a picture just so you can take a look at this item. Sure. They can uh, send me an email, Michael at baseballintheattic.com. Or they can call me, 312-379-9090. Or you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. All right, so a lot of ways to get a hold of you. So that sounds like, uh, again, some of these might not, might not have a lot of resale value, but they're cool items nonetheless, right? It's great items. I mean, we had a couple of Michael Jordan signatures, uh, Walter Payton so far we've heard. Uh, World Series baseball signed by Ben Zovbrist, who was the World Series MVP. Anywhere from 125 to 150 bucks. Uh, that's that's fair market value. However, if you were to go to a show and get his signature, it would be much more. It would be at least probably I'm, I'm guessing close to 200 bucks. Really? Yeah. Oh, you would have to pay 200 bucks to get the signature? Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. Ooh, that seems uh, that seems excessive. <laughs> Lou is in displays. Hi, Lou. Hey, how are you? Good. What do you got? So I have two 1986 Fleer. Rookie Michael Jordan cards. You may both are PSA graded. So I haven't been in the industry or collecting in a while. One is a, so I don't know the value, but one is a mint eight and one is a mint nine. Okay. First of all, what does that mean, Michael, before you answer uh, Lou's question? Yes. Yeah, so cards are graded on a scale of one to ten. Who's waiting? Nine is uh, pretty high. Ten, ten is basically perfect, uh, pristine, it's gem mint. Uh, one is poor. Um, you know, poor could mean you know it's got a ton of creases. There is a piece missing. It's been outside for a hundred years in the snow <laughs> and the rain, getting run over by a semi truck. <laughs> All right, we don't want ones then. No, um, but so, Lou's got an eight and a nine. It's wonderful. Um, now let's talk about the values of what he has. Yeah. In uh, a ten, which he does not have, but a ten could be anywhere from twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. For a card. Now, a, a 9, which is just one step below a 10. What would differentiate a 9 from a 10? Uh, essentially, not much. <laughs> to, to, to the naked eye, it would be almost impossible to tell. Okay. Um, but there might be a little uh, surface wear, corners. Uh, maybe the centering is not exactly perfect, but it's still pretty damn good. Um it's really tough to detect from a nine to ten. Okay. So I just gave you the price of a ten. A nine is about five thousand dollars. Wow, there's that big of a difference. Yes, absolutely. Holy smokes! And then an eight. And then, oh, go ahead. And then an eight. So I just gave you the, the value of a nine. An eight would still be a couple thousand dollars, maybe fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars. Would it be worth sending back the the one the nine and? Getting it regraded. Um, so, 
I don't think so. Here's why. Because as I was saying, uh, I think a couple segments ago, this company, PSA, has been around for, uh, I think, about 30 years. And they were a lot harder. They... They're a, they're a lot harder today than they were back then, and I, I, I just don't think that they would look at something f- uh, and say, yes, it's going to be a 10. Does now, it ever change just based on the appraiser? Like, if you and I are both appraisers and we're looking at this, is it is it set guidelines, or is there some latitude based on your opinion versus my opinion? Um, th- there are definitely guidelines, um, and... Usually, uh, depending upon what the item is, more than one grader will take a look at it. So they have to be uh, kind of in unison. Now, um, since these two cards were graded, um, in the past 10 years or so, they have instituted half grades. So now they have seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half. Mm-hmm. So it may make sense to take a look at it. If you send me pictures, I can take a look at the cards and say, okay, I'm looking at the eight. Maybe it does make sense to have it regraded because it looks okay. like an eight and a half. But very rarely will I see a card get a bump from 8 to 9 or 9 to 10. Um, sure, anything's possible, but in most cases, it just does not happen. All right. Well, Lou, I hope that helps. Thank you for the call. Thank oh, sorry. Thank you as well. Uh, let's say hi to uh, Joe on the northwest side. Joe, what do you got? I have a piece of Soldier Field AstroTurf. When they took out the turf, uh, they cut it up with the pieces. It's about a 4 by 4 square. It was given away the promotional item at gas stations and certifying the back where it came from. It's not signed by Walter Payton, but I'm sure he ran on it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in. We'll put that in the computer and see what it spits out. You know, I've seen I've seen some of these over the years. I haven't seen one in quite a long time, probably at least five years. That's come across my desk, and and you know, Brian, I just. Don't even remember what the value was five years ago, but if this caller sends me a picture, I'll, I'll do some research and dig up some numbers and let him know. All right, so uh, how does he send you those pictures again, Michael? Yeah, he can email me, michael at baseballintheattic.com, or you can text him to 312-379-9090. All right, Joe, send him a picture. We'll see what, see what it's worth. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's take a quick break. After I ask you these two text questions, we'll get to more of your calls, 312-981-7200. Assigned uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves uh, says I have a assigned Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves autograph. So an autograph of Kane and Taves uh, of them winning the 2013 Cup. So it must be a picture, uh, a signed picture. They'll both be in the Hall of Fame after playing. Any is that worth anything? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to know. You know, if it's on a hockey puck, a photo, a stick, um, some other thing. Um, okay. But yeah, it could be worth a couple hundred bucks. An unopened box set of rare Air Michael Jordan cards. They went along with his rare Air book. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. Um, so my expertise, as you know, is 1870 to 1970. Sure. But, of course, I know what a Michael Jordan rookie card is worth, as I just told the prior caller. But this is, you know, his, his book is maybe, that book is 15 to 20 bucks. Right, and they came, these cards came with the book. So if it's something, usually those promotional items don't really hold their value, right? Uh, almost never. Because so ma- there's so many of them. Yeah, they're so mass-produced. What about a Michael Jordan autographed baseball when he was with the White Sox? Uh, yeah, he was on the White Sox in 1994, the uh, Birmingham uh, Barons. Um, $150. Bucks. $150. Bucks. And a 1973 auto program signed by Jesse Owens, Billy Waylu, and Sharon Moran. Um, like an auto show program, I'm guessing? 
Yeah, that's not one. I need to see a picture. Yeah. Um, and then, so if the caller just sends me a picture or texts me, then I'll take a look. They, uh, Kane and Taze was a picture, autographed picture. Yeah, so a c- couple hundred bucks. A couple hundred bucks, yeah. very good. All right, more with Michael Osaki from Baseball in the Attic. Baseballintheattic.com is the website if you want to send Michael a picture of something so he can really take a look at it. Michael at Baseballintheattic.com. Uh, more with Michael and more of your questions on the other side. It's 720 WGN. All right, let's get right back to uh, the appraising. If you have some sports memorabilia, Michael Osaki is here. Baseballintheattic.com. Michael, somebody texted in. Give us that phone number again. Um my phone number is 312-379-9090, 312-379-9090. And if you want to see Michael in person, who will be at the McHenry County Historical Society Museum Saturday, February 23rd, as part of the Antique Appraisal Day, you can go to gothistory.org to make a reservation and uh, come in. at $7 per item, three uh, item max. Per appraisal, you get a 10-minute session, and Michael or one of the other appraisers there um, will look at your stuff. Michael is the sports memorabilia person. There's all sorts of appraisers there. So go to gothistory.org to get all the information and to make your reservation. All right, let's get back to the phones. Uh, Barb is in Downers Grove. Hi, Barb. What do you got? Hi, Brian and Michael. We have a um, 1985 Bears signed football. We, um, at the time, had a dealership and gave um, demos to Freddie Cato, who was the trainer, and the team signed a ball for us. And I was wondering what the best place to have that authenticated would be. Okay. So to answer your question, it would be psacard.com. Okay. I did hear that earlier. Correct. So you can go to their website. I don't know what the uh, value or the um, price would be, but they have... Um, uh, you know, it's like a click down. Is this signature on here? Is this? And you can find out if if it's too confusing, you can just call them. They have a one hundred phone number on their website. Okay. Okay. Very good. And then they uh, then they will tell you. Do they tell you if it's worth if it's worth sending in, or how does how does the process work? Once once Barb goes through and she clicks down, she makes okay. It's got everybody's signature on there. What do they mm-hmm. tell you to do? Uh, so no. So the company will not tell you if it's worth sending in or not. Um, it's uh, you know they get paid if it's authentic or not. Um, right. um, but I will tell Barb, obviously, uh, if Walter Payton is on there and if you're trying to potentially sell it at a later date, yes, it does make sense to have it authenticated. Okay. Right. So that sounds great. Thank you so much. Com. You're welcome, Barb. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Barb. Uh, let's go to Larry. He is in Itasca. Hi, Larry. What do you got? Um, I have a bold form of jacket worn by Roland Garrett. Now, while Roland Garrett was not all that significant in terms of his uh, Bulls performance. I think he was one of seven or eight that wore number 23. And the uh, fact is, no one will ever wear that number again. So let's, uh, oh, what do you think is, uh, is, is going on? Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you're in my position. I was trying to buy that. I'm wondering if there's any tags or any way to tell that, yes, it was worn by him or if just like a regular store model that you buy off the rack. Well, it was um, my grandfather befriended Roland Garretts when he was practicing um, at the Bulls practice facility that was managed by the Archdiocese of Chicago. So, you know, circa early 80s, um, it has Garrett on the back with the Bulls logo, Chicago on the front with 23 in the lower, I'm trying to envision it, right-hand corner. Okay, good. Yes, that definitely sounds, I've, I haven't seen a picture, but it sounds correct. Um you're probably looking at a couple hundred bucks. 
Okay, awesome. There you go. I mean, there's a significant value or emotional value to it, but thanks so much for your opinion. Have a great day. Take care, Larry. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Some things, you know, they might be worth a couple hundred bucks, but they might be worth more to you just to hang on to it for the you know even if even if it's a thousand bucks it might be like yeah but this was you know i got this from my grandfather who got it from you know so it's it's worth more to me than the than the thousand bucks that happens a lot definitely uh roberto clemente autograph photo okay with him you know he died in a plane crash mm-hmm. on new year's eve um his signature is quite valuable um so if you have an authentic signed roberto clemente photo you're looking at a couple thousand bucks. Really? Yeah. And this is another thing, that, but that needs to be authenticated, right? Absolutely. That's something that nobody's going to buy without any sort of uh, correct. Absolutely. Any sort of authentication. Um, yeah. So he had a mailman. I think his name was Pat, who he befriended Clemente, and Pat would sign a lot on behalf of Roberto, and he did a pretty damn good job. So if this caller or texter does want to uh, sell it, he should have it authenticated. Okay. Uh, 1953 New York Yankee World Series autographed bat. Wow. So it would be dependent upon the signatures. And when we say team signed in baseball, it should have at least 18 to 20 signatures. Okay. If there's only about a dozen, you know, it's not really considered to be team signed. Ah. Uh, if you're talking about a football team, football team is much bigger than a baseball team. Sure. Obviously, you're looking at 45 or so signatures for a team sign. Um it's valuable. I mean, if if all the uh, Hall of Fame signatures are on there, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Very nice. All right, let's grab a few more calls uh, while we have some time. Tony is in Shanahan. Hi, Tony. What do you got? Hi, guys. How you doing? I have, long story short, a buddy of mine was friends with one of the McCaskies, and he actually acquired one of the actual phones. I, I was told there was four or five of them used for the 84-85 draft. It was an actual Bears helmet with a phone in it. And wow. he he actually had it signed the end of the year by the MVP of the '85 Super Bowl, Richard Dent. I was wondering what that would be worth. Five hundred bucks. Five hundred bucks. Yeah. Okay. Not bad. All right. Uh, so you thinking of holding on to that, Tony? No, I was actually thinking about getting rid of it. <laughs> I've been kind of liquidating some stuff. And well, five hundred bucks, not too bad. Yeah, not too bad at all. I got some other stuff. I'm actually going to send you some pics uh, when I get off the phone here. Sounds good. Take care, Tony. Okay, thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. Call, call me, no pun intended. Yeah, it sounds like Tony's got some stuff. 500 bucks, that's pretty good. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, I always get more excited because, you know, you're jaded. You've seen all this stuff. I'm like, hey, that sounds really cool. Uh, let's say hi to Jim in Gray's Lake. Hey, Jim, what do you got? How you doing? Good. I have uh, from an early Chicago auto show. Signed cards from the Lincoln Mercury exhibit. They had their uh, Lincoln Mercury athletic team. And I know they're genuine because I watched them sign and hand them to me. And uh, and now I've been listening. I'm thinking, all the show, a lot of people there in line. The more you have, the less it's worth, right? Not necessarily. I mean, if you're getting a signature, you know, of a Tom Brady, there's always so, so much demand. There's a lot of demand for that. Um, but right. uh, this was the early '70s, and I haven't packed away because I just moved. But I remember three of them. One is Jesse Owens. That's my favorite. Bart Starr and Gordy Howe. Wow, all different sports. Okay, yeah. Uh, and they all wear. It's a card, and they're all wearing looks like realtor jackets, and they have Lincoln Mercury patches on their pockets. And 
That would be you something. Sat down you, and you I, could ask them questions, and then you had your cards and you lined up to have them sign them. Yeah, that would be something I need to see. If you could just uh, shoot me an email or text me, I'll take a look and then tell you what the value is. I appreciate the call. Uh, what's the email again? It's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at baseballintheattic.com. All right. Thank you, Jim. That's a long website. Thank you. com. All right. Uh, thank you, Jim. Good luck. All right. Well, that's uh, listen. We've uh, once again run out of time. People are people are on the line. They're waiting, but they need to go to baseballintheattic.com. Uh, they can email you. They can call you there, Michael, or they can come out to the McHenry County Historical Society Museum. All the proceeds from the appraisals go to the Historical Society Museum. It is a, a great event. If you have some things, uh, again, there are ten appraisers there. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't have to be. Sports memorabilia, it can be uh, anything. So if you go to gothistory.org, gothistory.org, you can get all the information. Uh, You can take three items, $7 per item. Go ahead and reserve a 10-minute spot. Uh, Walk-ups are available, but it's first-come, first-serve. Again, that's uh, a benefit for the McHenry County Historical Society and Museum on Saturday, February 23rd. Always good to see you. We'll see you again as uh, football season nears and people start uh, looking at that stuff. So uh, always a pleasure, Michael. Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. All right, well, let's do this. And then on the other side of the news, it's time for Bowtie Theater Reviews. Oh, yes, two big shows this week. So a lot to come on the big broadcast. It's WGN. That is one of the songs from the Tony Award-winning Best Musical, Dear Evan Hansen, which opened Wednesday night at the uh, newly named Nederlander Theater, formerly the Oriental Theater here in Chicago. Uh, the initial run of Dear Evan Hansen pretty much sold out, so you will uh, you will have a hard time finding tickets. But the good news is that uh, this week a new block of tickets, because the show does have to leave March 10th, but they are coming back July 7th for 12 weeks. Uh, tickets go on sale on the 19th if you are part of uh, Broadway in Chicago's email blast or uh, follow their uh, social media channels. There will be advanced ticket sales tomorrow. So uh, I will start with the nuts and bolts. There it is. So if you if you don't have tickets to see Dear Evan Hansen now, uh, do yourself a favor and try to get tickets to see this when it comes back for the, uh, the 12-week run. Cody missed the show the other night, and uh, I have been... Uh, I've been riding him hard about it all week. So, I've been trying to think, uh, since I saw this show on Wednesday, how to aptly describe it. And it is, I will start by saying this, it is a, a show that is still with me today, uh, days after I saw the uh, saw the production. I was able to, uh, today as I was putting my uh, thoughts on paper, I was listening to the soundtrack, and I was still uh, welling up with emotion. It is, it is by far the most intensely emotional night at the theater that I have had, um, whether it was going to other Broadway or Chicago shows or shows that I saw before uh, before that, this is by far uh, one of the most memorable and emotionally impactful nights that I have seen. Now, that being said, I knew of the play. I knew that Dear Evan Hansen was a hit on Broadway for the last couple of years. I had heard different things about it. Uh, my daughter had mentioned it to me, but I didn't know really what it was about. And so I didn't do a lot of research into it before I went because I wanted to go in with a clear head. It is basically the 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 bare bones. It's about a teen who feels extremely anxious and isolated. It starts on the first day of his senior year in high school. He is, uh, you know, th- one of the things that people say. Oh, it's all about Evan. Is this uh, this guy with anxiety? Blah blah blah. Well, th- there is never any mention of Evan's 
medical condition or lack thereof. He, We know he sees a therapist. We know he's on some sort of medication, but they never put a label on it. So it's about this kid, and uh, he's being raised by a single mom who is working as a nursing assistant. She's also going to college. She's very busy. He feels very isolated from everybody around him, from everybody in school. And listen, for a lot of people, high school sucks. And so this this play really taps into how high school sucks for for some people. And to paraphrase his mom in one of the scenes, the only people who like high school are athletes and cheerleaders, and they end up miserable anyway. So it's it's this kid. And part of part of his therapy is his therapist wants him to write a letter to himself every day. Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be a great day because. So that's where the title comes. So he writes this letter to himself. The letter gets seen and taken by another kid. Um, that kid commits suicide. Then things start to spin out of control because Evan tells a lie and the lie because the parents of the kid who committed suicide thinks that this was that child's suicide note written to Evan because Evan was his friend. Uh, they had only had one interaction and it was not pleasant. The part of the note that Evan wrote concerned this kid's sister. So Evan, in an effort, a misguided effort to help the family with their grief, tells a lie. And that lie spurs something else. And then it starts spinning out of control. And in the age of social media, it gets even bigger and bigger. And then it all starts to unravel. And Evan, Evan try, almost gets what he really wants, which is to belong and to be liked and to be to be that person who has connections, and it all falls apart. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, this, listen, I, I'm not in high school anymore. I'm not a teenager. This is not a show that I need to see. You are absolutely wrong. Because while there were a lot of groups, there were a number of groups of uh, teenagers. There were, big, there were high school groups that brought kids there because this is, this is a show that they feel, and, and as the father of a former teenager, I think really connects on that emotional level of these kids who are 16, 18, uh, who are going through things, who are making mistakes, who are feeling isolated. And then that level is there. But it's not just for them, because if you are a parent, you are going to see relationships between parents who are good people and who are trying their best to connect with their teenagers. And yet, anybody who is a parent no matter your best efforts, sometimes the gap between you and your child grows and there's communications and as much as you try to let them know that you're there and let them know that things will get better, that doesn't always happen. They don't get the message. And parents are left trying to figure out, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the job the way it should be done? Why isn't there a map to tell me how to take care of this? So those relationships are all there. Um, it is, it's also a look at social media and Cody, this is why I thought of you because part of uh, social media plays a huge part in this program because once the lie gets told, things start moving on and other people try to co-opt this suicide for their own, not, not financial gain, not any gain other than, Hey, look, now I matter. Now I, now I belong to something. Now I'm making connections. 
and social media uses it, and it shows, one, how quickly something can go viral and build people up, and on the flip side, how quickly social media can turn on people and try to bring them down. And the staging with the use of social media and the projections up there, you never see full posts, but you see little bits, and you can tell, oh, this is a Facebook post, this is a Twitter post, this is you know, uh, YouTube, all of the different things, they're up there, and they're not distracting because they're not there all the time. They come and go, and so that adds that other layer of it. It just, it's emotionally, I said it was emotionally perfect the night I saw it, because everything that comes out of the, the mouths of the characters, every feeling you have seems genuine. Nothing is contrived. You can see whether you were someone like Evan who feels like you were, felt like you were on the outside looking in and that you would never make a connection. You can, you can empathize with this. And while you, th- while you look at it and say, you know, from a distance, man, that's a horrible decision. This is, this is a kid who no one should, no one should care about. No one should feel sorry for. You do. And I think part of obviously it's the writing, obviously it's the performances. Uh, ben Levi Ross plays Evan Hansen, and he uh, he takes this character and personifies him in a way that makes it makes you believe that this is really happening to him. It, it's a, it's a beautiful performance. Uh, one example, he's he's the focus of most of the scenes of the show, but there is a scene where. His mom and the other parents, it's a very small cast, eight people. His mom and the other family, they're meeting. And this is when things are starting starting to unravel a little bit. So the scene is happening center stage with all the other actors. And Evan is downstage right for you theater people. And he's just sitting. And his leg is, start, is tapping just a little. And I watched, I couldn't take my eyes off him. Because... As things were being said by the parents and everybody else over here, and the weight of what he's done is starting to weigh on him, I could see him physically getting smaller. Like the weight of the world, and tears were streaming down his face. He didn't say a word. He wasn't interacting with anyone else in the scene, and yet I could not take my eyes off him. It was heartbreaking to watch. Um, so... That being said, you're probably thinking, boy, Brian, I don't know if I have two and a half hours to uh, be an emotional wreck. Don't worry. There's a lot of really funny moments throughout the play. It's, uh, you know, because even even in some of our worst moments, there is humor. And, and the humor is there in the interaction between Evan and some of the other kids. And um, But again, the overall feeling is, is emotion. And... Uh, I've got to single out the performance of uh, Jessica Phillips, who plays his mom, plays Evan's mom. Again, single mom. uh, A lot of people can relate. She's working a job. She's going to school, trying to better herself. But she's also really concerned about her kid. And she's trying everything she can to connect with him. But he's trying to find connection somewhere else. And her frustration and her heartbreak and the heartbreak of the parents who's son committed suicide and them reaching out and trying to find anything that can buoy them or or give them some sort of help or some sort of understanding about why their son did what he did um it's everybody in the cast was phenomenal um 
But again, Jessica Phillips and uh, Ben Levi Ross as uh, Evan Hansen and his mom Heidi were just uh, were just incredible. And the parents are not cliche caricatures of a character. Uh, just like the teens are, are fully thought out and fully developed, and uh, again, seemingly so genuine. Uh, the parents are real and they're flawed and they're trying, and it, so the whole thing just uh, just is great. So it's not. It is. It is about teens, and it is about their angst, and it is about suicide. But it's not. It's not just about that. It's about our feeling of isolation in a world that is more and more connected every day. And yet, even with all those connections, there are still people who are on the outside. Uh, the music was terrific. Uh, we heard one of the songs uh, com- coming back. It's uh, you can go and, and listen. I, if you're going to go to the show. Listen to the soundtrack first, or don't, because uh, it hit me in a fresh way that was uh, just very, very powerful. So I know, Cody. I told you, uh, I told you you had to go see this, and you said, "Oh, is it just is it just emotional?" And as I mentioned, no. There's there's some fun uh, there's some fun parts to it and some funny parts, uh, but I will say you need that intermission because at the end of Act One, there wasn't a dry eye in our aisle. Uh, the guy sitting next to Debbie said, are you okay? Um, and then, again, I didn't realize how big an impact this, this show has made before it's even come here. I got to school the next day, and one of the teachers, he's a young guy, he teaches fifth grade, and he came up and said, I'm so jealous, I've been listening to this soundtrack for two years, uh, I have to see this show. And a couple other teachers said the same thing, and, and you know, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So uh, I will cut to the chase. There is absolutely no question this is a four-bow-tie production. If, if you can get to see this show, uh, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teenager, go with someone you care about, uh, sit with them, and, and uh, let, that, let those emotions go, and then communicate and reach out to somebody and, and try to make that communication. Yes, Roger. You've been sitting here very quietly. I commend your restraint. Thank well, you. I've been listening to you because I, I've known of the show since yeah. it won all the awards on Broadway. Um, and, and But I did not research the details of it. Right. Your very excellent description of it, of of what it's based on. When you see the title, what do you know about exactly. Dear Evan Han- uh, Hansen? I don't know. I had no clue that he was going yes. to the counselor and he's writing notes to himself. So let me ask you this. Yes. You are a teacher. Mm-hmm. I taught for 20 years. Right. How do you think this, seeing this show, will, if at all, affect what you do in the classroom with the kids you teach? Well, now, I know you're not teacher, doing high the kids school. I te- yeah, the kids I teach are very young, so right. they're, not, they're not in this. But I think, I think more so from a parental standpoint, it, it might open the lines of communication. If you go with your high school senior... And you see this production, uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna allow you to talk to them a little more. It doesn't glamorize, you know. There was there was that show, uh, Thirteen Reasons Why or whatever. On oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. This does nothing to glamorize anything. Um, I didn't I didn't ruin anything by by the description I gave. There's no glamorization. It's it's you know, it's very raw. It, it's raw. It's talked about, but it's not not dwelled upon mm-hmm. the the event the suicide is the springboard for everything else the suicide does not drive the narrative other than that's the cause of right. of what happened um 
it will definitely open people's lines of community, or I hope it does, and I hope it sticks with people as it's stuck with me, um, because it's powerful, and there's no two ways about it. If you're looking for a really light night at the theater, this may not be for you. But if you want to see an emotionally real, a heartbreakingly exquisite piece of theater, this is you, you got to go see it. You got to. Hmm. All right. Four bow ties. There you go. All right. Now, on the other side, uh, we will go to the opposite end of the theatrical spectrum. Uh, I also went to see Friends, the musical parody. So we will talk about that after this on WGM. So it's part of the Bowtie Theater Reviews, uh, letting you know what uh, maybe you want to see, what you don't want to see. And again, I am, uh, you know, just a regular guy going to the shows. So take it with any review. I don't care if you're listening to Dean or Chris Jones or anything. Take the reviews for what they're worth. And then if something sounds interesting to you, go and see it. So, uh, dear Evan Hansen, I cannot recommend more highly. If you get a chance, go see it again. Uh, Tickets for the uh, return engagement, a limited 12-week return engagement starting July 7th, uh, go on sale on the 19th of February. It is playing now and through through March 10th at the Nederlander Theater in Chicago. Broadwayinchicago.com is where you can get all the information on that broadway in chicago you can also get information whose phone is that cody where is that phone ringing why do we have a phone ringing in here i don't hear anything i'll get it roger will you get the phone for me there's a phone ringing in the studio i don't i don't have one in my studio i I understand that but i'm telling you there's a phone ringing in this studio i don't believe you ryan i know you don't believe me so (laughs) what can i tell you what can i tell you um i think it was the lobby the lobby calling me telling me i'm on the air Asking me why I'm reviewing plays, people very uh, people don't understand. Why is he talking about a play that people haven't seen? I don't know. Why do why does Richard Roper why does Richard Roper write about movies you haven't seen? Uh, all right, Friends, the musical parody. Here's my quick my quick quick review. If you are a super fan of Friends, you will probably really enjoy it. I found the first act to be very frenetic and resembling a, a cruise ship or high school production. Of the parody, the second act to me was funnier. There was um, there were a couple songs in the second act that I really enjoyed. The woman who plays Rachel, I thought uh, Sammy Griffith did a really nice job. She had the intonation and everything. A very small thing to me, but Cody knows how I like to fixate. Uh, when the show started, the actress who played Monica, who did who did a fine job, I guess, but. Um, she had on a really bad wig, and it was sitting oddly on her head, and it was, and I, I, I couldn't stop fixating on the bad wig, which made, which threw the cruise ship high school analogy even more to the forefront of my mind. I'm like, oh, this is not great. And like I said, the first act very frenetic and convoluted. They, everybody seemed to calm down a little bit in the second act. So the second act was fine. Again, a lot of references. I was a casual Friends viewer. I liked the show, but I wasn't. Uh, there were some super fans who laughed at every little thing. That I admittedly did not get because I had missed that minutia in the show. Um, very light. Very the the people who wrote this have written other parodies in the past, parodies of The Office, uh, parodies of um, 90210 and Saved by the Bell. So that's their stock in trade. That um, you know that does that. Uh, you know if you really like Friends. Check it out. It's at the Broadway Playhouse, which is at Watertower Place, and it is uh, running through March 3rd. You can go to Broadway in Chicago. I'll give it two bow ties. 
two bow ties for Friends, the musical parody. All right. Uh, the name of the play that I was talking about was Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen was the, uh, the one I was talking about earlier. All right. Let's do this. Then we'll get into this oh, Jesse Smollett thing. Jesse Smollett. Oh, I see the look in Roger's eyes on that. <laughs> do more of that after this, WGN. And I have to, uh, clarification. I mentioned the Dear Evan Hansen uh, return engagement, July 7th to uh, September 12th, the, uh, or September 27th. I failed to, I met, thought it was, it's not till 2020. So get your get your tickets this week. Tickets do go on sale this week for the return engagement, but it's not till a year from July. I was all set to do it. I figured, well, uh, summertime, well, I'm off. I got you know a lot what? of free time. Here's the thing. <laughs> you think that's a long way away, OB. but you buy the tickets this week, it'll be here in no time. It's like uh, Hamilton. Yes. Everything was sold out before they even made the announcement. Right. You I, know. When Hamilton opened here, we went on online the day that all three of us were mm-hmm. online on different computers trying to get tickets mm-hmm. and that the show was a year away yeah. when we bought yeah. the tickets yeah and then it was like oh yeah now we get to go see hamilton <laughs> so yes there will be a return engagement uh but it is july 7th to september 27th 2020 so clarification thank you to the texter who who said hey uh tell brian that yes the tickets are going on sale but it's not they're not the show's not coming back till 2020, which makes sense because they're scheduled out on the on the right. national tour. Yeah. So uh, you know, or you can if you get listen if you got tons and tons of dough, buy them on the secondary market for this run, or just try to get uh, right. try to or, get tickets. There is a digital lottery as well, so you can go on Broadway in Chicago. You try the digital lottery mm-hmm. to get tickets. Uh, those are a very limited number of seats, but they're 25 bucks for every performance Ooh. for the digital lottery. So, and I, I they did that for Hamilton. They may still be doing oh, okay. it, but they do it for a lot of a lot of shows where they do the digital digital lottery so go to broadway in chicago uh, dot com go uh, to dear evan hansen all these social media channels uh and uh, the dates are still correct you can get uh, you can start buying tickets on the 19th on the 18th which is tomorrow if you are uh get the broadway in chicago emails or are on the dear evan hansen social media channels all right enough enough of the arts let's turn to uh the absurdity of real life when it comes to <laughs> artists uh Chicago police now investigating whether uh, Jesse Smollett paid two brothers to stage the attack. We can get into all the details, but you've basically been hearing them. You know, the, there were two people who were persons of interest. The police brought them in. They questioned them. Then suddenly, uh-oh, the focus of the investigation shifts a little. Uh, the stories come back and uh, says, oh, these brothers, these brothers allegedly say they were paid by Smollett, to go to the Crafty Beaver and buy some rope, uh, which who doesn't want to go to the Crafty Beaver? Have you? I've never, I had never heard of the Crafty Beaver. Really? No, now I can't wait to shop at the Crafty Beaver. Cool place. Because, well, sure, I can only imagine <laughs> the kind of things they have there. Uh, because if your beaver's not crafty, it doesn't really deserve to be running around. So they supposedly bought the rope there, and uh, they got paid some money, and then they went to Nigeria, and they came back, and they got paid some more money, and now it's a whole big thing. Well, of course, uh, Jesse Smollett and his representatives are denying this wholeheartedly. They uh, issued a very strongly worded statement, which says in part, quote, Jesse Smollett is angered and devastated by recent reports that the perpetrators are individual he is familiar with. He has been further victimized by claims attributed to these alleged perpetrators that Jesse played a role in his own attack. Nothing is further from the truth. End quote. Um, you can believe uh, whatever you want, but let's be honest, most rational people, rational thinking human beings, we're seeing holes in this story 
when it first came out. The problem is, be, come on, you've lived here a long time. I've mm-hmm. lived here a long time. Right. Uh, I've also watched the news for a long time. Mm-hmm. I know there are true victims. Usually those are victims of random violence. They're not by guys who are walking around with bleach and nooses at the ready. That's not how crimes usually occur. So that that was a red flag to me. A lot of people had a lot of red flags. However, this is something that is going on in this country with a lot of a lot of different stories and a lot of different things where if you speak up and voice your suspicions, you are labeled something horrible. Uh, there were people who spoke up right away saying, this story sounds, sounds crazy. You know, why isn't he helping out? And they were told they were victim shaming. They were told they were racist. They were told they were uh, anti, they were homophobic. All of these things, just because you said, hey, hold, hold on, let's wait a minute. If this story is in fact false, all those people, one, were correct, and two, everybody who shamed them into uh, shamed other people into being quiet have done a disservice to real victims. The the first and foremost person who may have done uh, the disservice is uh, Mr. Smollett, who, if this if it turns out that these stories that his story is made up, uh, one you don't you don't know why. What would motivate you? You know, Fox has said that the the initial uh, the initial reports were that he was being written off the show. I don't know how this would stop you from getting written off a show. Shows have an arc. Fox, of course, said, no, this is not, uh, that's not the case at all. He's a big part of the program, blah, 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 blah. So why? You look, you look at you, you don't know. But we, Cody and I were talking about this. And God forbid you, you stand up against something or question it because there's no more black and white. There's no more room in society to have a debate or to, to question something without being painted as something horrible. And that's, it goes, it, it doesn't matter what side you're on, nothing. Uh, this is just overall, you believe this or you're wrong. And then you, you think, man, oh man, all right, let's say, you're, let's say you're somebody who is not a fan of the current administration or the Make America Great Again hats and all of that. And you were, oh man, this was exciting. You were licking your chops. See, we told you, all these people are hate-filled animals. Now it comes out, maybe it's maybe it's false. Maybe this didn't happen. Maybe there was no no uh, ties at all to MAGA. Oh man, now the MAGA people are, see, we told you, you lefties are always trying to create uh, some sort of country. There, nobody wins. But back to the initial point, you know, I, I was not, there was no, well, one, I don't get involved in debates on social media because it's ridiculous. Right. It's a, a crazy circle of hell that nobody wins, and uh, it just goes round and round, and all these uh, anonymous muscle people are going to come out, and they're going to say all kinds of stuff, because everybody's an expert. And then you go on Twitter, and Twitter, as we know, is the eighth circle of hell. Uh, <laughs> so, God forbid you say something on Twitter, and then people are doxing you, and all of a sudden they're, they're in front of your house because they, you're a racist. No, I'm not. I just said this story sounds a little fishy. See, that's because you're homophobic. No, it's it's not at all. It's because, you know, I've walked through Streeterville at night, and I rarely see roving gangs of MAGA people with nooses. I just don't. Plus, uh, I'm pretty sure. Now, I've been I've been in fights before. I've been beaten up. Um, 
If somebody slipped a noose around my neck, it wouldn't be a surprise. You know, his interview the other day, uh, his interview the other day was that uh, he said he was interviewing with Robin Roberts, and he said he didn't notice the noose until he was walking away. I'm like, eh. Boy, that sounds weird, too. Because, again, if, <laughs> you know, somebody does that. Um, <sighs> calm down, deep breath. No, no, don't, don't no, tell I, me to calm down. S- don't placate me like that. I, I this know, is my, you're, this I know is my show. how you, you feel. You get worked up. It's, you know, know. that's what we do. But it's hot talk. But this is genuine. This is not. This is not right. manufactured hot talk right. to get people right. uh, get people's. And you're right. It's been uh, hot talk on both sides. Sure. And and from a news standpoint, I always wait when something comes out, information about the case. Mm-hmm. I always wait for the other shoe to drop, because there's there's a problem on this case specifically. Too many officials are talking before we know what happen well and eddie johnson was very good about coming out when when there were there were initial reports early in the investigation saying you know hold on he's still we still consider mr smollett a victim Mm -hmm. and now we've got police named police sources who are coming out and saying the investigation has shifted let's 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 shift our focus for just a moment Mm -hmm. uh, to the cpd right uh, when we are reading headlines that the clearance rate for the Detective Bureau is at an all-time low, uh, lowest in the country, and yet we are assigning, we being the CPD, mm-hmm. assigning, I think, 12 detectives to investigate this one case when there are hundreds of cases throughout the city of people being attacked and shot and murdered. That we never uh, hear that about. We, that we don't hear about because right. it's not a TV star. Exactly. And so now we have to pour all this manpower into this case. Uh, now, does it did this case deserve to be investigated? Of course, it did. But there's hundreds of cases that deserve this kind of uh, this kind of investigation that aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one level in our celebrity obsessed culture and our high high profile. You know, we've got to clear this one because it's high profile. Well, you just work at the jewel, so you know we'll get around to your case, maybe, probably not. But good luck. Uh, so there's there's all of that getting involved uh, getting involved in it mm-hmm. too. Yeah, Just, that, and and that was the other point I was going to make. This is a very high profile case mm-hmm. because he is on a TV show. Uh, should it be investigated? Yes, we're not saying that his celebrity status should make it go one way or the other. Well, his celebrity status has. Uh, Definitely gotten it more attention and has gotten it more manpower than probably is assigned to other cases. But, uh, you know, that's... But that shouldn't be a criteria for how much time or effort goes into this. And no, if the... But it is. And, and, and I know the police department does a great job. They're, they're working hard on everything. But continually sending out a notice or making a comment about a case whether it's this one or the like you said the person who works at the jewel can you just wait until you're done with the investigation and then let us know well the problem the problem with you know they're the person, being bombarded the by questions the, right, by the, the media at the jewel nobody you know channel seven channel nine we're not you know the radio people we're I not understand. calling them for comment this is because ooh, it's a tv star we've got i i understand yeah. that but that's why they're you know most of the comments were again from Eddie Johnson saying we still consider him a victim. Right. As things have turned around, well, once you make an arrest, you've 
once you make an arrest you've or you bring somebody in for questioning, right. you have to then answer that question. Hey, you've got these two people of interest. What's the deal? Right. You have to comment on that. Then the police uh, spokesman said, we can confirm the information received from the individuals questioned by police earlier in the Empire case has, in fact, shifted the tra- trajectory of the investigation, right. end quote. We've, now they've requested a follow-up interview with mm-hmm. Smollett. You've got to, uh, you know. You, I, I know, because now there's a change, so here's something new. And then you also, like you said, when they let those two go, that kind of threw everything up in the air. So like, sure. now so, it's bringing the light on CPD. Right, and everybody's asking, well, if, exactly. did, if they're not, well, why did they? Right. You know? And come on, in this day and age, there's video of everything. Yeah. And no video. No, you know, the heavily redacted phone records. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of red flags. There's a lot, yeah. A lot, a of, lot of red flags. Mm-hmm. All right, Cody's yelling at me. We got it. 312-981-7200. Uh, but putting this aside, the uh, initial question remains, are you afraid to speak up on some topics or voice your doubt with because of fear of being labeled a racist or a homophobe or a misogynist or something else? 312-981-7200. As we're talking about the latest developments in the uh, Jussie Smollett case, but the bigger picture is, you know, people were afraid to speak up on this and they were afraid to voice doubts on a number of things or take a contrary opinion because in this day and age, the minute you don't go along with the crowd, you are labeled a racist or a homophobe or a misogynist or some other horrible thing. And you may just be saying, hey, uh, this just sounds weird to me. I don't believe it. Well, why not? You should just believe everything at face value. 312-981-7200. Jim wants to jump in. Hi, Jim. Hi, I just wanted to say that uh, the problem I see with this is a problem you see over and over again in society, and we come up against time and time again. If you know the story of the emperor's new clothes, mm-hmm. it's like you know you had the emperor walking naked down the street, the whole community standing, going "Ooh, I admiring his what is supposedly his imaginary clothes." And it takes a little kid to be honest enough to say that the emperor is naked, and we are like those people. We're afraid of being, you know, being found out to look stupid when everyone else is acting like it's normal. And as a result of that, you know, we just put up with stuff that nobody would have put up with. It. Our common sense tells us it's completely bogus, but we just don't, uh, we don't care anymore. We're we're just afraid to speak up. Well, and I I agree. It's uh, I think. I think it's it's mostly what you're saying, and then it's you add in all the different levels of ways people can come at you. Before, if somebody disagreed with you, they might just uh, yell something at you, and that was it. Now they're posting it, and it's everywhere. It just it, it's taken on a whole new a whole new level, uh, and I think people are just they just don't want they don't want that hassle in their lives. They don't mind having a debate with somebody, but if it turns into a if it turns into you know posts and hundreds of people sending you angry missives. That's, you know, forget it. Yes, and it takes nothing for that to happen. You mentioned that before. I've long stopped saying anything much on my Facebook page because I don't have the time or the energy. I've got the point of view, and I'd be more than happy, as you say, in a one-on-one case, to to answer people about what you might think. But you're taking on, like, a world of trouble. Oh, yeah. Because there's, there's no way keeping up with it in this day and age. As you say, everybody has to shame everybody else. It's like... It's like you're not entitled to a point of view. This country, which had you know, put so much emphasis on free speech up until recently, now that you have you know motivational crimes. If I say this, it's hate speech. If I if I was started to paint a swastika on your wall, it's a hate act. But if I was beating my wife to death, yelling "I hate you, I hate you, I hate you," nobody would regard that as a hate crime. You know, it's right. like 
it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, it's rough. Jim, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Todd. Hello, Todd. Uh, good evening, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're well. What do you think of this? Well, I don't worry about what other people think about me. Uh, I'll say what I state. And uh, I have an audience of one, and that's God. He knows if I'm a racist, and I'm not. He knows if I'm a misogynist, well, and I'm not. He you, knows all about me. I understand, so and that's all That's all well and good. Do you do this on, uh, do you have social Facebook? media accounts? Absolutely. You do. And you, so you you don't care. You're, uh, you will argue with anybody and state your case. And I'm not, I don't know if you're, you know, your point is your opinion's your opinion. Um, sure you don't worry about, you don't worry about it coming back I, to I, your work or I, you're coming I, back. I, I, anything. Well, I own my own businesses, okay. so that's part of the. Part so you're of pretty much you're pretty much people. insulated from a lot of stuff. But uh, you know, here's the thing: if someone says something about me, I say, "I'll tell you what: you go look at my profile, you go look at who my friends are, and you tell sure. me if I'm a racist." Right. <laughs> yeah, I just you go you look at my checkbook and see how much money I give away to charity, and you tell me if I'm a greedy person. Right. Right. I've got no problem with that. On the other side, you find out all sorts of things about all sorts of other people that are, you know. Typically, racist are the people who call other people racist. Oh, sure, it's easy. So. To, it's easy to throw those things around. Todd, I appreciate the call, and it's uh, you know what? I wish I wish there was a point where I didn't. Uh, you know, I there's there's different levels. Todd, with his own business, he doesn't have to worry about any blowback on uh, on work. Um, you know, I'm not gonna. I don't have the time or the energy to debate a lot of people on social media. I will say, like, if I'm sitting with a group of people, oh, definitely we'll have a conversation. But if, you know, I'm not getting into that because I don't, I don't need it and I don't thrive on it and I don't, you know, I don't like it. Uh, you've been very quiet. You've been very quiet, Cody. I don't, uh, anytime we get into heated, uh, heated conversations, you get uh, nervous. I've That's been producing right. with you. I actually agree with you on all this I, stuff. I'm not, oh, you don't have to agree with me. I know, but a lot of times I, uh, I know I rile up the listeners because you I say. because you're young and communistic. Very communistic. <laughs> all my socialist, uh, all my, yeah, all that stuff. But no, no, I, 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 I agree. I hate, I hate that you can't talk about this stuff. And I hate right. when people label each other and they're, they're so quick to take things out of context. And we're in this, when this, uh, just call out it's culture. Black and white. There's no. There's no gray. There's no room for. There's no room for any dissension. Yeah, it's you bad. believe this side or you believe this side, and if you don't, you're evil and you're the enemy. All right. You know what is not the enemy? Beer. And we will. Uh, we will uh, talk about that and enjoy that on the other side of the news. It's WGN. Here's at the breweries with Brian Noonan. Oh, it's been too long. It is at the breweries. And I am joined, as always, by John Carruthers from Revolution Brewing and Jesse Valenciana, who just made it in the nick of time from Goose Island. Oh, my gosh, John and I, were, uh, we're ready to cut your loose, Jess. Sorry. <laughs> you're late and, you, and you're gone. Well, welcome back. Happy New Year, fellas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Brian. <laughs> I love that Jesse is pulling beers out of his coat pocket. He's like, uh, you're like uh, Felix the Cat with his bag. You're just, oh, here, and I've got another beer here, and this is going on. If you are new to the segment at the breweries, the guys come in and they uh, review three different styles of beer they pick one that is kind of the baseline and then try another one today we are going to try saisons we are going to try mexican lagers and stouts porters 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 Porters. oh very nice so but we'll start uh you know we haven't talked in uh, since december so i know there's some new things happening uh what's happening new at revolution you got a couple new things going on 
Yeah, just off those five minutes I spent dry in January, uh, we have got a new everyday IPA. It's 4.3% alcohol nice. uh, in 15 packs. Literally just launched last week. It's still going out into stores, but okay. I really like it. I just and, had it today. It's fantastic. Yeah, the lazy yeah. dad in me loves the 4.3% ABV. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of places are, I'm seeing are coming out with that because for a while everything was heavy, 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 yeah. and people are like, well, I, you know, I can only have one or two. I, it's, I can't drink these during the day and be you know coherent so it's nice everybody coming out with a lower abv without sacrificing any of the taste or the quality yeah, yeah. i wish i participated in any athletic endeavors because it'd be the perfect beer for that yeah nice and then you've also got a uh a, a new beer created by some of the female employees at revolution that's coming out yes spirit of revolt so this was this is back it was a draft only released last year it is now in cans so buy it at a store near you um this beer goes to benefit this local charity does great work called connections for abused women and their children so everyone who buys this who drinks this who enjoys this does a little good with it too very nice so beer and a good cause yeah and we're throwing an art show at the tap room on march 8th to you know kind of culminate the whole fundraising effort very nice spirit of revolt and the art on the can uh, one of the employees came up with that it's yeah this cool. was uh this this art's based off a sketch by one of our bartenders um her and her husband uh both talented artists kind of concepted this character it's supposed to be like you know every chicago woman very nice so that's spirit of revolt it's on it's on sale now in cans can and it's still on tap at the uh, tap room mm-hmm. yes Perfect. All right, go. What's new at uh, What's new at Goose? Oh man, I don't know where to start. Uh, we actually, I've, we've got a really cool event coming up in March. Um, Women in Brewing at the the Brew Pub on Clybourne. So, in keeping with you know Women's Month, and um, it, it's been pretty awesome the stuff that we're doing. We've got some events throughout the year that we're going to be doing to support. Um, you know, the women in brewing, which is cool. That's so, right, man. Women's yeah. month. That's 12 yeah. months of the year, baby. Yeah, that's right. It <laughs> depends on where you live, but yes, <laughs> definitely, as it should be. You also had uh, you also had the fun uh, dibs release. Oh, my goodness. With, uh, with the, uh, the Which debate. you crushed. Thank you. I was not playing. That was, I, I wanted to get out just because I had gone through dry January, and I was like, ooh, I need a beer. And so I went, and I had no no intention of debating, and you kept... Hey, you gonna do it? You gonna do it? You gonna do it? You gonna do it? He was That's a spot there. on Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> he was sitting there going, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna no, do I wasn't. Then, I just went to have a not beer. Now, I was not gonna yet. have one beer. Yeah. That was it. One beer. I had two, so I was pretty good. I only had oh. two. And you should know that when you're near me, you're not gonna have just one beer. So. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Most anticlimactic I've ever heard. I, I was only gonna have one beer, and I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to hear where <laughs> he woke up in jail. No. He's like, but I had two. I'm like, man, that's the worst way that story can end. <laughs> I know, but I was trying to be very responsible. It was the middle of the day. Plus, I was coming off not drinking for a month. Oh, I hear you. So man. two, two of those, uh, two of those uh, porter. I was, uh, you know, that would that was plenty. Yeah, I'm I wanted didn't to have more. But punch I was a police horse or something? No, not at all. But I did punch. <laughs> I day. did punch uh, verbally. Punch the guy, oh the moderator, who, you, uh, who thought he was going to d- destroy me, and I just you did more than punch him. You were Mike Tyson. You Mike Tyson, this kid. I uh, did you ever see Eight Mile, John? You ever see Eight Mile? <laughs> yeah. Where at the end, uh, Eminem. <laughs> Doses this guy so bad he cannot respond. Yeah, I think I'm wearing that hoodie. That was exactly <laughs> what happened. To the point he where did. he actually he turned around and he went, I, I have nothing. You win. That's nice. I we mean, fired him because we're like, this is weak. Yeah, he was this an embarrassment. Not- I mean, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite part of craft beer is always watching the light go out in somebody's eyes. <laughs> so, the, so you've got the big uh, goose has the uh, the big uh, event in March for women in brewing. We do. Um, uh, we're also going to be Goose Island is going to be at the James Beard House March first. Oh, yes, All right. yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, is that your thing in New York? It is my thing in New York. Very nice. So, tell people about that. So, the guy is from Steadfast, which is a 
amazing restaurant in downtown Chicago. Uh, their chef Ender and I and Chris, who does all of their um, their he's their patisserie chef. Yeah. So we're putting together a six course, three appetizer dinner at the James Beard House, and everything is paired with a Goose Island beer. Two of the dishes are paired with um, Virtue Cider. And there's a bunch of different beer, actual beer as ingredients in uh, the the uh, the courses. So it's pretty fascinating. Very nice. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, let's get into it. What, are, what is our first uh, style that we are going to experiment with today? So we're bringing it back in gently. We're going to do Mexican lager, crisp, Ooh. refreshing. Everyone's had a Corona or a yeah. Modelo or a Tecate. Never. Um, so we have got the classic Modelo. And oh, this yeah. is, I just picked this because this is my favorite. Um, Negra Modelo, even what? better. Did you bring any limes? I, oh, I, I love the I Negra I did not bring Modelo. any limes. Oh, it's at weak. the brewery, not at the let me orchard. Ask, let me ask this, yeah. Limes uh, grown in orchard? <laughs> no. Yeah, sure, yeah, on trees. Lime orchards in Florida. I have always been steadfastly against putting fruit, uh, putting lime in, in a beer. Is that, uh, am I doing it wrong? I, my, you know, realistically, my exception is Mexican lagers. So what sets a Mexican lager apart from, you know, old styles of lager? What's, what makes a Mexican lager a Mexican lager? Well, Mexican lagers are, are essentially just, they were Vienna lagers. Okay. And then, you know, uh, Tecate, the Modelos of the world, kind of took off, and that was a the style. There was a big influx of different immigrants that came through, European okay. immigrants, and the Vienna style of beer took off. Yeah. And, you know, Mexicans kind of claimed it as their own. And it's a, I mean... You you think of uh, you think of places where maybe you've gone on vacation in Mexico. It's usually hot. Uh, it's tropical. It's it you know so a nice crisp light beer goes perfectly with sitting on the beach. Oh, totally. And that's you know? the the whole citrus thing. My dad, um, my grandfather used to own bars, and he said the reason there was limes in beer. And I don't know if this is a story that he came up with, but he said that the beers would come in open trucks. Yes. So there was always dirt. I heard on that, top of them. I've heard that same yeah. reasoning. So you'd grab a lime, slice it up, throw the lime at them. They would clean the top of the can and just kind of like squeeze, put yeah. it in the can. Which is counterintuitive if you've used the lime to clean off all <laughs> the as, as a rag. Yeah, and then you've jammed it in your beer. It'd be like taking the bar rag and, <laughs> oh, this is delicious. That's like the suicide of <laughs> So what do you like? What do you, what do you guys like about Modelo to make this the baseline? Um, you know, because I've... I've I like Modelo. I like the Negra Modelo a lot. I love that it. one's such a great yeah. beer. So good. So good. People get scared of it because it's dark. But it do- it's darker, but it's still almost just as light as the regular Modelo. Yeah. You know? We've talked about this before, too, you know, with, with when people see like a Guinness, and they're like, oh, I don't like those big, heavy beers. It's too it's strong. And you're like, this is like a 4.2, and it's so light. I mean, it's just the carbonation is a little bit different, but... Right. Yeah, yeah. But what we what we like about Modelo, I mean, what I like about Modelo, it's really straightforward. It's refreshing. There's flavor to it, but it's not that like cheap, grainy kind of corny. Yeah, like it yeah. tastes like a lager that someone spent some time wanting to make nice for you. And it says especial on the can, so it means it's special. Oh, is that? Oh, that's that's what, it what got means. me. That's what yeah, got me. I mean, because it's a special. What? Uh, what's an ABV on this? That is what I'm looking at right now. And Let's, do these count calorie wise? Are these these are not light beers, right? No, they're they're regular, no, but they're they're lighter on the palate. What I right. really like about Modelo and like Tecate is like they're so light on the palate and they're, they're really effervescent. Mm-hmm. So like when you're eating a taco, they go with great with food. Yeah, yeah, they complement whatever you're you're having. It's, yeah, it's like a cheat sheet. All right, so what now? We've we've had the baseline, which is Modelo, and everybody. I there's a place near me that uh, on Fridays the four the Modelo Toro bars are four dollars. Oh, so I've enjoyed. That's uh, nice. Yeah. I've enjoyed some food with a few Modelos. 
close enough to walk, which is also a benefit. So what is now, what are we going to compare for our uh, comparison beer? So this is Cruz Blanca, Mexico Calling. It's a lager especial. Oh, Oh. what does that mean, Jesse? A special lager. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, but this is like me and Jesse have wanted a Cruz Blanca beer on here forever. Uh, Jacob, yeah. the brewmaster, just does amazing work over there. And they also have a heck of a kitchen, so all their beers yeah. tend to really have that kind of culinary aspect in mind. Yeah. When they're brewing uh, when they're brewing there, it's obviously the, the priority is the beer. But yeah. are there, is there also an eye toward, ooh, this is... Do they collaborate? Does a kitchen and the brewery collaborate, or does the does one react to another? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, the the great thing about what I've seen at Cruz is Jacob is this like mad scientist, and he he's got a brilliant mind, and he gets to really run that beer program the way he wants it. Yeah. And the food's just fantastic, and there's always going to be some kind of crossover. Okay. You know, um, I'm sure Jacob he does this really amazing coconut toasted coconut IPA Ooh. that he doesn't make enough. Yeah, Jacob, I hope you're listening. Um. But yeah, they use they use the kitchen, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they do this like toasting a cor- coconut porter too. And so there's stuff that they're using in the kitchen that they're incorporating into their beers, you know, yeah. and that just naturally lends to these different pairings that that happen there. Now this one seems a little a little heavier, you creamier, know, a little, yeah, a yeah. little creamier, less effervescent than uh, than the Modelo. Still light, but just there's there's that different texture on your tongue when you when you take a drink. It's a little thicker and it tastes it tastes more it's more balanced to the malt, so it's got a yes. little bit of that extra yeah. malt sweetness. Um then you'll also notice if you look in your glass it kind of holds the head a little longer than your Modelo yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. It's really pretty. Um, yeah, it's real good though. I mean, these almost are, too pretty to drink, but not so pretty that I will not drink. <laughs> I have not met the too pretty beer yet. <laughs> All the beers, Cody. Yes, now now you're looking uh, you're looking longingly. You are welcome. You know you are welcome to come in. Dude, he he gets very jealous. He <laughs> should be. I mean, these are good beers. What other? So, uh, in the Mexican lager family, for the traditionalist, you mentioned Modelo. You mentioned Corona. Is there something if somebody uh, other than the Cruz, which people can pick up at the store too, mm-hmm. is there another one where you'd go? Yeah, if you want to delve in, here's another local local. Uh, brewery that's doing a Mexican lager really well. Well, there was um, kind of like an explosion of Mexican lagers in the last couple of years. So yeah. everybody but now does like their version of it. Um, I feel Cruz is making the best one. I okay. mean, that, that's like if, if you want to go, if you want to spend a little bit more and go beyond the Modelos and the Tecates, the Mexico Calling is the best beer. I, it's, I love it. It's a crusher. It's really I, good. I throw a lime in there. I don't know if they hate me for that, but... That with lime is so good. I wonder. I I would wonder that too. If uh, if Jamie or any of the brewers are like, yeah, well, you don't need to do that with ours. Our you know our canning system is clean. Yeah. You don't need to. You don't need to scrub <laughs> off the top. We're good. We're I just close my eyes. Pretend I'm on, I'm on the beach. I'm like here. That's what I'm doing. So people <laughs> should be looking for in a Mexican lager effervescence, mm-hmm. lightness, a little bit of citrus flavor. Um, yeah, if you put the lime in, I mean naturally it should. It naturally well. it should have. Naturally, I mean, it doesn't. You gotta squeeze yeah, your own yeah. fruit. But I can see where. I mean, it's it's. I don't know if it's just that it's a perfect pairing and that we have trained to have citrus yeah. in it so many times that I think it just works great. Yeah. What's the ABV on this one? Four, Four seven. seven. Four seven. So that's yeah. another one you could uh, you know you can yeah. enjoy throughout the day. Yeah. And into the night, and then the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> brush your teeth. Breakfast beers. The guys are here for at the breweries at 312-981-7200 if you have a, any questions regarding uh, not only the styles of beer that we're talking about today, but any any type of uh, beer question. You can follow the guys, too. John, give us your Twitter, Twitter handle. At UT Chicago. And Jesse? 
at Jesse Manbique. Jesse Manbique. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more. It's WGN. We're here until 7 o'clock with the John Carruthers from Revolution Brewing and uh, Jesse Valenciana from Goose Island. Trying to uh, get to the music without knocking over one of these beers. We've talked about Mexican lager, uh, and now we are going to move on to is uh, Saison. Is that correct? Yes. I'm noticing, John, that there these saisons are giving you uh, trouble with porn. They're very. There seems to be uh, copious amounts of. I was going to say copious amounts of head, but that sounds wrong. A lot of foam in these uh, in these beers. It's a family show, Brian. I understand, but what family? <laughs> <laughs> Manson <laughs> family. family. So is is that a thing with uh, saisons that they're very foamy? Yes, yeah, so that's a Belgian characteristic. Is that. The way they're carbonated is almost like if you carbonated an American beer and then you kept going like another oh, really? 50%. <laughs> What's the purpose of that? They just, the Belgians love that clean, crisp feeling on the palate when it's super, something super carbonated doesn't linger very long. Okay. And Belgian beers have a lot of cool, like spicy or funky or sweet or sour notes to it. And something that effervescent helps you experience those flavors without getting just like totally sick of it by the time you hit the bottom of the bottle. Uh, Is a Saison the same as a farmhouse ale or are those different? Farmhouse is just kind of a term people throw around, but Mm -hmm. Saison style beers were traditionally brewed at farmhouses. But honestly, farmhouse beer could mean anything these days. So what then? What then, Jesse? Is a saison. So the the Belgians actually they they made the saisons and the saisons like the farmhouse sales are saison and uh, beer de guards. So the French would make beer de guards where the the Belgians were making saisons, which saison means season. Okay. Uh, and the <coughs> romantic beer de story, means beer to save. <laughs> it does. Wow. So the romantic story for saisons. People Cezanne's, think all we do here is drink beer. We're educating. No, we are educating people. It's drunk education. It's dredgication. <laughs> Dredge, it's a new show name next week. <laughs> we're, 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 we're coming up with new words. Exactly. we got to call Cicero and be like, hey, add this in your books. Um, so what are we... What? Um, oh, so back to the French made the, the one and the, they make and the Belgians made the Belgians make saisons. Um, so the romantic story was uh, the beers would get made um, on these farm on these farms. So the the farmhands that would were looking for work would pick the farms based on how good their beer was. Oh, because they would be a, a, they would be how much it was like you'd get like a certain amount of beer from each farm each day. Okay, and the saisons were always lower ABV, so you could you know essentially have one and still and keep working. Continue, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's how it came to be named like that. I think the seasonal farm workers were known as, and I don't speak French or know it. Mon. But if I'm speaking it like a dude from the Midwest who saw it in a book, it's a saisonnaires. Saisonnaires. Savoir faire. And then also, though, the the saisons, the beer was being made, essentially you were, you know, filtering beer, you were, or water, I'm sorry. So there wasn't very good ways to, um, uh, the, the water wasn't great quality. So beer was like another alternative to drinking, you know, water that can kill you, essentially. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So what is our baseline for saisons? This is the classic saison yeah. Dupont. This is something you can find pretty much any decent liquor store. Yeah. Um, you know, plus your great liquor stores like Binnie's and what have you. Please send us stuff. Uh, <laughs> yes, you can. Under- no, but this Listen, is ben- Binnie's. You can sponsor at the breweries here on WGN. Call <laughs> yeah. our fine sales staff, Cody. Do we have a number? Doesn't matter. Uh, Cody will find a number. Yeah. So this yes. is just Ooh. a. Oh, sorry, Cody. No, he's not going to find it. No. Cody's Sorry, I might have cut off a great bomb mop because I'm not looking at him. Yeah, don't worry. He, he has no bomb mops. Bomb mops. <laughs> a lot of French today. Yeah, this is a good are. show. I like it. We're going to have fries afterwards. It's, it's very funny. Frites. We're doing frites. Oh, sure. Steak frites. Oh, are we doing bom, mayo bom, bom. then? Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So this is a great this is a great farmhouse brewery uh, based in Belgium in a town that I'm not going to insult by trying to name it. Uh, this is a very available, not super expensive beer. This big tall bottle, ten ninety nine. Yeah. Um, and this is a beer that I think you it's know, actually even less than that. It's, I think it's like seven ninety nine. It's it's for what it is. It's I was going to say I have a bottle of this in the fridge that I, that I got somewhere and I haven't drank I drank it, but now that I've tried it. It's delicious. Yeah, so this is an absolute classic. I mean, this is what I, this is what I judge every saison I have, kind really? of based off of. That's just... I, the baseline saison. We we do at Goose Island. We we have Sophie, which is our uh, Belgian style farmhouse ale, and you know you you taste Sophie and Dupont side by side. It's 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 amazing. You see the the parallels between both beers and the inspiration from this beer to that beer. Well, we will continue with our saisons, and we will continue with at the breweries. Uh, John Carruthers is here from Revolution. You can follow John at UT Chicago on Twitter, and Jesse Valenciano is here from Goose Island. Follow him at Jesse BQ. and of course, it's uh, GooseIsland.com and Revolution.com to find out everything about their breweries. So we will uh, talk about the guys' pick for their other saison and uh, so much more. We'll do that after the news, which comes your way after this on WGN. Uh, we're here till seven. John Carruthers from Revolution. Brewing is here. Jesse Valenciana from Goose Island Brewing is here. And we have already talked about Mexican lagers, which were delicious. All of this will be a podcast. Modelo was the baseline, and when then we tried Cruz Blanca's Mexico Calling for delicious Mexican lagers. Now we have moved on to Saisons, which are Belgian and very foamy, as, uh, as I've learned. That's right. <laughs> and then there were a lot of uh, French words that I didn't understand. But we uh, the Dupont Saison uh, Dupont Saison Dupont was our baseline. It comes in uh, like a 750 milliliter bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, what John, a cork. John almost, almost lost his eye. Almost decapitated. I saw that. I very was right frightening. There for that. that thing that and you said that's not. So if people are like, oh, I was going to go buy that, but I like my ocular cavities intact. This is not uh, a normal thing. <laughs> really pointing anywhere but at the ground of your face, and I think you'd be good. <laughs> Can I okay. jump in here for a second? Sure, you you do. did a pop up. Um, corn dog event last year, and they you were a pirate. So you were so close to actually being a pirate. Yeah, that would have been. I would have loved been to see the I mean, different. Terrible, uh, but great. No, it would have been cool because you could have put all <laughs> revolutions different logos on your different eye patches, change them for the mood or the event. How much would you charge to get a, a goose patch on there? I so Whoa. you guys are leaving out right that I'm right a huge uh, Peter Falk fan. So <laughs> it probably would have got you know me a Peter Falk eyeball. I think that would have been pretty cool. That would have been cool. Then you could have changed those out too, like put a snow yeah. globe eyeball in there, Thank shake you. it around. Oh, that's fun. neat. I like uh, that. uh, just 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 one more beer. <laughs> what would I thought it, you what said would a Peter Falk uh, fan. Uh, that's my Peter Falk. I'm it still was. workshopping it. All right, let's I got uh, some. I got some IO classes. He's not left. trained. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't show. Uh, let's go back, shall we? Uh, let's go back to the Saison. So Saison Dupont was our baseline, and now we move on to uh, to a new Saison, the one yes. you guys are going to talk about. The Saison move on. So this is Ooh, Prism Saison. from uh, just down 65 at Perennial Artisan Ales. Oh, uh, These guys they make fancy. great beer, but this is also, and I was sneaking some sips, sorry. <laughs> uh, this is a very, like, American take. Like, it's got that Saison character, but it's clearly, you know, dry hopped with some cool, new, fancy dry hops. Like, you get it right on the nose, but I think it works. It's, I think. Very, the, it's very hop-driven. I like it. Yeah, it's much more hoppy than the uh, Saison DuPont. Um, and you know I always fear too many hops. Mm-hmm. This is not too many. This is almost, for me, like, right on the right on the cusp yeah. of uh, too hoppy. When some when you take a style that is fair is well established like a saison, obviously as a brewery you want to try to do something new with it, make it. A, 
Sure. How strictly should you try to adhere to what made that style so popular as opposed to then making this your own uh, version of this? Well, that's actually a good segue. I also brought some SPF from Goose Island, which is a Saison base um, with passion fruit. Okay. So for me... I I love good a good base beer. You know, there's so many great beers out there on their own, but I love beer is like that way for for brewers to kind of show off who they are, right? You know, and they're they're artists, so like they they're all inspired by somebody. But I like to see what comes out of that inspiration. You know, I don't like to set parameters on. But on beers. but the for the SPF, you started with a, a traditional saison, correct? Yeah. And so then, Sophie, then, which is right. Yeah, it's 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 not your. Traditional, traditional saison, but it's it's got a lot of similarities to saison Dupont, but it's made way differently. Right. But it's kind of like our ode to that beer. Okay. Um, so it is close to like a a Dupont, but then here we go and we just bump it up with these tropical fruits, which is awesome. Ah. Well, that's and that always adds a little something. So where would you guys put this? And this is uh, from Cascade. Is that what Cascade? Uh, perennial, perennial, perennial. Yeah, yeah I. I like it. I think that the yeast is doing a lot less work here, but they don't have this, you know, strain that's been perfected in a yeah. lonely farmhouse in Belgium for years. <laughs> so I think that a lot of what they're doing with the dry hops here mimics a lot of the cool and traditional flavors of DuPont. Also, if you just want to not hear me ramble about it, it's just it's a good drinking beer. It is it's a good, good beer. Uh, let me for those for those uninitiated. Well, first Cody's Cody's like I have to jump in. What Cody? What? Just jump in. What is it? Man? Since wait a minute, when did you? When have you ever stood? At, oh, you are. Hold on. Oh, there you are. Yeah, because I had oh, to turn down the Van Halen. My mic has been on. Uh, in, I've, been, I've been trying, Brian. Just right, trying to be in. heard. No, I, I had to jump in now because we're doing the, this, this segment. A listener who is bilingual and speaks French pointed out that really we should be saying saison. Uh, Cezanne is a post-impressionist painter. So if you oh, are over no. in Europe and you, you order a Cezanne, they yeah. may look at you oddly. So Cezanne is the way to Cezanne. do it. Hence, hence my disclaimer about how yes. stupid and terrible I am at speaking other languages. Uh, thank the listener and <laughs> note that they fall on ignorant Sir, ears. Cezanne. It was a madam, yes. Yes. So, well, thank you. Though. A thousand like apologies that. to the French, to the Flemish, <laughs> to the people who took at least a couple of years in high school. I, I know I'm terrible. I took Latin. Do we have any Latin beers coming up? I can translate those. Ooh, uh, mm. no. Uh, it's a dying language. For those who, are, for the uninitiated, uh, what's the difference between regular hops and dry hops? Because I know I've had a couple from both of your places that were dry hopped, mm-hmm. and I have some other dry hop that I've uh, I got. What what's what does that mean? In Are the, all hops dry when you throw them in? Well, in the brewing process when they're added. So um, on the hot side is when you add the the first round of hops. And if you want to dry hop it, like we did, we've 312, everybody knows. It's, sure. it's our, uh, our wheat ale. Uh, last year, we released a dry hopped version of it. So we it's essentially... It's a black can. Yeah. That's phenomenal. A super sexy can. Uh, yeah, it is very sexy. So we ended up doing... I only drink it in my underpants. <laughs> that's even... That's double sexy. Yeah, but what makes that <laughs> different from Schlitz? That's true. true. <laughs> Less tears. Well, I think all beer is sexy. What does that tell you? <laughs> I'm either really sexy or I have a problem. But anyway, we'll go, talk on about your, that to the yeah, show go on with on. your explanation. <laughs> the, Sorry. The, the dry hopping, it's the latest edition of hops, and it pulls out a lot of the aromatics and a lot of the flavors, but not that bitterness. So... Like that whiff you get when you crack open a beer, you get a fresh draft pour. A lot of that character is from the dry hop. And if you dry hop extra, super expensive to do, you also just open up these new flavors and aromas Ooh. you can't get any other way. I really nice. hate that you use the word whiff. Yeah. Whiff. I, that's, I put it as H-W-H-I-F-F. Yeah. How would they say it in French? Whiff. 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 Oh, I don't know. Whiff. We're going to offend really not, so many I'm, French people. I am... Whiff. 
happy with myself for not slipping into the Pepe Le Pew accent. Cause, you oh, know. Lord. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so, all right. So we like, we obviously like Saison DuPont. It's so good. Did we say DuPont the right way? DuPont. You don't know. Cody, I'm just, just going to spell it. D-U-P- I like that D-U-P-O-N-T. Yeah. Dupont. I like that word. I'm shouting it out. I, yeah. <laughs> the thing that on this show that's so fun is like me and Jesse, every time we bring out a classic, and we're like, okay, we're just bringing this on because it's like the boring baseline. Start drinking it. We're like, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. This well, is so good. That's yeah. why it's the baseline. Yeah. That's yeah. why it's the one. And we like the uh, we like the prism. I like the prism. I really like it's the prism. Like, it's not I'm trying to say this in a not unbearable way, but like the way they achieve the same end with like a different Google Maps route to the same place is yeah. like super cool to me. Now we had uh, I like that three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We had we had somebody holding on who could who hung up, but Doug had a question. He's been cellaring some beers. He had a question about a twenty fifteen Goose Island. How long how long can you cellar a beer? What's you know now that we're four years into it, and you know my feelings on cellaring. Just drink the beer. It's beer. Come yeah, on. I mean, let's not be goofballs. All beers are meant to be drank as soon as they're yes. purchased. Right. You know, realistically, you talk to any brewer that they want you to taste that beer. Oh, hold on, Doug is back. <laughs> Doug. Doug's back. Doug. I am back. Doug, hey. you're back. What's hey, your? What, what, I return. What beer are you cellaring, Doug? Well, let's see. Uh, I've got about 40 bottles down there right now. Uh, my first one was the Off-Color off Radio Laria. Hmm. What style is that? And, um, Old. That one, I haven't touched selling. any of them yet. Can I ask but, why? Um, aged beers, certain types other than IPAs, tend to uh, mature, like wine. And... Um, I actually have a 2015 Curio, Allagash Curio, that's from a, a wine, red wine barrels, and, um, and that one has some red strings in it, but I also know that if I open it, it foams over, I know it's no good. So, but I also have the complete lineup of 2015 Goose Island Bourbon County sitting there. I know four of those are bad. Yeah, I mean, some uh, batches weren't uh, I can't remember which ones are the bad ones, but I know that the um, uh, the proprietors is, and I believe the barley wine. Oh, Jesse's yeah, Jesse's re- standing up. He's punching the air. <laughs> so, uh, huh? what do you? So, you want to know if they're if you should when you should drink them or what? Uh... Well, I mean, I don't know if I can look at a beer and tell from it if it's bad because I do have a bottle of uh, Enjoy After Ten Thirty One Sixteen. It's an IPA sort of. And I don't know if it's still good, but I'll find out if it turned into a barley wine or not. But um, yeah, I'm just wondering how well my uh, rare might have, uh, my Goose Island rare might have cellared. Because the big thing is, I was going to sell it because I wasn't going to drink it. But then I decided, you know what? I spent $65 on a bottle of wine. I know they're getting about 150 to 200 on my beer cellar. And I've got, I'm going to Stockholm and I have a couple friends there that are just beer fanatics and have never even had an opportunity to try this. I'm wondering if it's going to be a problem if I take it there and share it with them, if I should worry that it might have gone, uh, south on me. No, I just had a rare two weeks ago. Um, 2015? Yeah. Okay. I, I still have one left of, uh, 2011, but those, that oh, beer held up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, Beer could have finished its PhD by now. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, I'm telling you that the 2011 or the 2011 is one that uh, that's like the uh, Apex Predator of. Uh, yeah, that's another beer, but 
Yeah, that's off color. No, it, it's a great beer. I say, not the comment, the brewery. <laughs> right, yeah. I say drink um, it, share it, and yeah. don't make any money off it. Just share it, man. Enjoy it. No, Enjoy I'm it. going to, but I don't, I don't have a fear because it's a stout. It should, should have soured well. Well, uh, you should you should fear because you're flying with a bottle of beer and like man, I <laughs> it's always like just touch and go. Oh yeah, that it just explode. Yeah, just because you know. I you haven't even know. broken that little seal on the box. I'm going to take it in the box. I'm going to open it up, let them chill it there. We're going to drink it, and they uh, the one guy works at a bar which is on a boat called the Hemisberger Jarl in Stockholm, and it's a hostel. And uh, he Why took me to BrewDog and in sweden and it's like real brew dog not the stuff from from ohio it's very different and uh i'm going to let him keep the box and the bottle on the thing and let him take it and it's just going to be that cool well, Doug, so, you yes. are uh, you are into this you are in the you're you're like the the master's degree listener of this segment which we uh, we always appreciate i dig I, it i like that I, I too I, like... what I call myself can i tell you what i call myself because you guys Revolution and Gooseballs make great IPAs. I mean, you know, the Revolution's like the apex, you know, up there. Um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. But, I love watching uh, these the guys high five IPA has become my, what I call my internet beer, my affordable beer that I just sit here and drink while I'm in the internet. <laughs> but I call myself a hop squat. I don't know if you can put that on the radio or not, but... Uh, Find out in seven seconds yeah, or less. <laughs> I think you're good. Done. <laughs> Thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Have a great night. Uh, let's take one more quick call from Mickey before we get into our final style. Hi, Mickey. Hey, um, I'm not exactly the professor. I'm more like the first grade. Listen, uh, we, like, we like freshmen as well as graduate assistants. Good beers everybody, for everybody. Yeah, good beers. It's, it is. it's accessible. That's why we love beer. Yeah, uh, well, here's what I'm looking for. Um, I'm one of those millions of... Uh, mindless uh, beer drinkers that love Blue Moon, so I like a wheat beer, and uh, I also love that little bit of uh, coriander orange. I just discovered um, a Lost Coast uh, tangerine uh, at a bar, and, and I'm equally in love with that. Um, do you have any other suggestions along those lines? I don't like Shandies or any of that real you know, sweet, sweet beer, but just the hint. Mickey, if you can promise a stranger via the radio one thing, you promise me that you'll buy some Allagash White. Yes. That is... It is phenomenal. And, and nothing That's... wrong with Blue Moon. I would never call you mindless for liking what was yeah. a pretty cool and revolutionary beer at the time. But get this Allagash. It's made by this great small uh, brewery in Maine. I went there last fall, and it was like Disneyland for <laughs> guys who look like me. Uh, <laughs> Allagash White. You'll be able to find it most anywhere. Uh, you know, check the date. Make sure it's relatively fresh. But, man, get that beer. I think you'll love it, and I think you'll keep buying it because it's pretty easy to find but, in Chicagoland. And if you want to get an import... Does it have a, a strong ale taste, or is it m- m- milder? Like no, the, it's, uh, mild, it's mild. It's mild. It's easy drinking. Yeah. It's got that coriander. It's got that mm-hmm. weed. It's got that citrus flavor you like. I think this is right up your alley. And Whitaker, if White. you get a Thank chance... Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it very, oh, very here's, much, guys. We Take have care. one more. We'll, hold on, Mickey. We got one hey, more Mickey. for you. When you, Mickey right. doesn't care. He got one. I hope beer, he's listening. It. Yes, please listen. Whitaker is a, a, also another very Excellent underrated beer. beer, but it's so phenomenal. That's what that's. I actually got into that before I got into Allagash White because it used to come in cans. Yeah, and they had a on Mondays at Lava Lounge. I'm dating myself. <laughs> three, Back at the limelight <laughs> at the sock hop. <laughs> three dollars uh, a, a can for of Whitaker, and now. Uh. When people ask me for $7 when I order Whitaker, I kind of... Makes just, you cry. Yeah, it does. 
All right, we've got one more. We're going to talk about porters. We're going to do that after this. The guys for are here for at the breweries. John Carruthers at UT Chicago. Jesse Valenciana at Jesse Mambecue. GooseIsland.com. Revolution.com. Let's do this. Then we'll get our final f- style. WGM. We are moving into our final style of the day, which is a porter. Jesse, what is a porter other than uh, a delicious dark heavy beer? That's. I mean, it's it's not too 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 heavy but um porter was named after the porters that used to drink this beer in in london uh, in england so um it's an ale a lot of malts obviously dark because of the dark malts um and actually when people talk about ipas being the first beers that have you know hops or like really showcase hops porters are very heavily hopped what is the difference between a stout and a porter it's pretty slippery but porters <laughs> porters tend to have a little more of a roasty quality to them okay uh, and stouts are just a little bit sweeter yeah okay so what is our baseline porter this is samuel smith tadcaster porter you can find this just about anywhere, anywhere for like yeah. four bucks a bottle i mean this is like one of the wow. og english porter classics i love samuel smith all it this other really, stuff is yeah really their oatmeal stout their lot yeah their oatmeal stuff is samuel so good smith makes just good beer hmm but so you know, it's roasty, it's dry. If you kind of yeah. swish it around a little bit, it's not a heavy beer. No, no it's not. Once it, I, again, and we we talked about this earlier, and we've talked about it before. It looks like it should be molasses, but it is not. It's got an effervescence to it. Yeah, it's got it's it. It looks it's like a dog that has a bad bark <laughs> and no bite. It looks like it should really knock you down, but it's it doesn't. Yeah. And and again, going back to the porter, um, the porters would drink this, you know, on on their breaks or like yeah. lunch breaks, and then after work, and that's how porter became there. So are they heavy, uh, high ABVs, or are they low? Nah, between four and five. Yeah. Um, See, you get some again, bigger ones over at six. Misleading. But, yeah. You know, where you'd look at it and go, that's got to be like, uh, you know, thinking back to some of the barrel-age stuff where that are 9, 10, 11, for this to be four or five, it's... Yeah, Nothing. it's not yeah. bad. And yeah, if you could just lift heavy stuff off a boat all day and keep drinking this, I mean that's a that's an endorsement of its sessionability. Yeah. Maybe we do that next time. We'd see how much heavy stuff we can drink and how many porters we can drink. I'll just watch and drink. <laughs> I'll, I'll judge you guys. <laughs> I just I like that this was invented in England and not like Long Island, so it's called porter and not longshoreman. Yeah. <laughs> Be on the waterfront, knit cap. <laughs> <laughs> Let's lay off the knit cap jokes, right? Uh, listen, <laughs> I'm trying to be as hipster as you guys. Uh, you know, I'm growing the beard. I'm trying to. You know, I don't have the tattoos yet. Brian, that, that H coming. word. That's that's a bad word for me. Don't come on. Well, the br- the brewer. I guess the craft brewer look. That's how about that? Is that I'll, I'll take that. Over we do look like two brewery brewer guys. I can't. Yeah, <laughs> can't even yeah. say anything about that. No, it's it, it's a it's a look. There's nothing wrong with it. So, all right. So the Samuel uh, Smith. Smith is our baseline porter and. What have you brought as your uh, test porter? We went a little wild on this. This is from Illuminated Brew Works. That's another local brewery. They make some cool stuff. They'll do they have cool parties. anything with a beer. <laughs> yeah. cool but this parties. is called Pazuzu's Petals. So it's this a frightening is, candy, like Nosferatu. Nosferatu. On there. This is called, and it's funny, I forgot this when we were talking about this. It's called a farmhouse porter with black cardamom. So <laughs> it's got a little bit. Of that cardamom character to like, you know, to go with that Boy, roasty it's kind of. Completely different. It really than, is, the, right? uh, than the first one. I think it's too. Um, the the nose is a little. Um, yeah, there's something about it. It's I'm that not, black cardamom. Yeah. What is it's cardamom? A, it's like coriander. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. I boy, that, it's. 
It's not my thing. Well, you know, here, not you want you want me to give a dramatic reading of the label rap? Please do. Make that face. <clears throat> make the uh, Nosferatu face. Okay, but we are on the radio. It's fine. People are watching on the... It's got the exorcist thing. Oh, we got That's about a minute. For... All right. We got to talk to Karen Get Connor. possessed by the sinful pleasures of bitter chocolate, coffee, dark fruit, smoke, and herb, and this homage to everyone's favorite Babylonian demon and his love affair with the bicycle. <laughs> wow, I don't remember. I didn't. That is weird. Wow. Yeah, I did, I, I, the bicycle part threw me. That's I had to read that all the way through. At the what end. are the spokes going to do? I'm not a fan. I don't. I don't enjoy. It. Roger, <laughs> said, you wanted to yeah, say quick something? question. So yes. <laughs> we got about a minute. Just jump right, no, question. Quick question. He said quick. So yes, all of these brews, it's like Roger. they've added something. Like it's a basic brew, and somebody decides to add this. Now, what makes that? Dis- is it a lot of experimentation before they decide? Oh, this one will work. Sometimes a brewer thinks. I bet. I bet that'd be cool. Yeah. And that's really what happens. Oh, okay. um, and sometimes yeah. you're adding flavors that, are, that go with, you're adding adjuncts that go with the flavors that already exist in the beer. So they, the brewers then do have some type of scientific knowledge of what might work with a certain type of brew. Yeah. Wow. They, they also to, to try enhance it, to make it set, set it apart. And a lot of it, is, most of it is, is experimentation. You know, you, oh, okay. you don't know how it's going to taste until you make it, you know. It's like when I put flaming Hot Cheetos in my chili and I was like, boom, genius. Genius. Sounds perfect. Genius. Uh, real quick, another real quick question before we uh, take a break, because then Karen Conte will come in. Somebody wants to know what happened to Bach beers. They always came out around Easter. I've always heard it was one uh, when they cleaned out the tanks. So, uh, Bach. Oh, they'll be out soon. We're actually putting one out at Revolution real soon. Totally for Rev Bach. But we got, you uh-huh. know, you can always find the classic German box at the store. It's a great style. Okay. So um, still, I, oh, still Metropolitan right. has a double Bach out right now. Yeah, that's really? very good. Yeah. Metropolitan. They make awesome. some good stuff, Metropolitan. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we, we uh, next time you guys are in, we're going to start doing like an after after show so we're going to continue this we're going to continue this after but we'll take a quick break then we'll say hi to karen conti and uh we'll keep drinking because uh that's what we do it's wgn all right my thanks to john carruthers and jesse valenciana we will be back next month with another edition of at the breweries uh we did the mexican lager we loved uh, the modelo but we really like cruz blanca's mexico calling we did saison so we like Saint Dupont. Um, the other one, the other one from uh, perennial. perennial. Perennial was good, but uh, Saint Dupont is is the one. And then for the uh, porters, we of course loved the Samuel Smith. Samuel Smith and uh, the Pazuzu's paddles. Uh, not not our cup of tea. All right, so. Uh, Karen Conti is on her way next. Cody told me we did not have time to talk to Karen. Uh, Karen, so you know, I had time to talk to you. Cody is a taskmaster, and we're late anyway. So uh, we will talk to you again uh, for a short show next week. Hear the sounds that matter. The top five at five from the Rocon Show with Anna DeVolantes. Weekday afternoons on 720 WGN Chicago. Smart speaker users, just say play WGN Radio on TuneIn. Thanks for listening and being part of the program tonight. Uh, this news is sponsored by Team Hockberg. It's 7 o'clock. Roger Badish. We 